Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Political Party. This episode features Owen Jones. As you may be aware, I was meant to have Owen on earlier in the year, but his dad, Rob, sadly passed away. Um, so I'm, I'm delighted I've eventually managed to get Owen on. And it's it's quite a long interview. And I know I've sort of speculated about whether longer interviews would work, so I suppose this is the test. But I think it was... I didn't certainly intend to keep home for longer than an hour, but there were so many things that came out of the conversation, it just kept going. So it it was quite organic in that regard. Um, I didn't run it long on purpose as an experiment. It just felt... I mean, to be honest, as always, it could have carried on so much longer. Um, and I think it's just that, as a result of our conversational styles, both sort of flit all over the place. So it is... It meanders more than other interviews... It's slightly... Uh, it bounces around into all sorts of things. Um, a certain level of introspection. Um, Alan Partridge and The Office. Uh, of course, we talk about Labour Live and Corbyn. Uh, about Owen's own career and ambition. And, um, it, well, I don't want to ruin it, but I, I really think he's too hard on himself. So see if you get that impression. But... Um, I was so delighted to have him on, and you can see why uh, he's so popular on telly and on in broadcasting and in print. Um, because he's well, not only is he obviously exceptionally bright, very passionate and articulate, uh, and uh, you get the sense when you meet some campaigners a, a level of energy, and he has a relentless, restless energy, deep reserves of it um, that not many people have. Uh, he is a true. He's a he's a he's a warrior, really, um, and he's a formidable uh, campaigner, and that really comes across. Um, so there is there is this is a real mixture of uh, politics, small talk, uh, and a lot of personal stuff. So, it, I mean, it was a thrill to, to to have Owen on, and he was absolutely great. So I will shut up now. Oh, one bit of promotion: my Edinburgh show is now on sale. Brexit through the gift shop. Um, you can get tickets at edfringe.com. I'm up there from the 1st to the 26th of August. Um, and I'll be doing two live political parties up there as well. Um, and you can find those on the Ed Fringe website as well. So I will uh, tell you more about that afterwards. But for now, and for a while, it's Owen Jones. Oh, I hate this because I can hear my voice. I hate hearing my voice. You've got a nice voice. Oh, I don't know about that. Not sure. Not very dulcet. Well, we, what you can do, yeah. there are techniques to add richness into the voice. Uh, how do you do that? Because that's like, Margaret, I'm not comparing myself to Margaret Thatcher. Weird thing to, <laughs> what a weird thing to say. But she had said that, didn't she? Because they said, because uh, she spoke too high. That's right. And and in our probably sexist world, that was it. So she had to like speak really. 
Yeah, you didn't you? But I, um, I just don't think I'll ever have gravitas in my voice. I'm afraid. You can just push it though. If you, if you, what's his name? There's a guy called Adam Smith or Adam Adam Smith, who's head of Sky Boxing. Oh yeah. And he commentates a lot of boxing, and he puts richness in the oh, voice. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. pushes it like that. Big middle rounds from Klitschko. But it always reminds me of Pat. You know, Partridge. Oh, it's very he, Partridge. When he's on, but when he's on with the other guy who puts that voice on, and then he's like Dave Clifton. Yeah, he's like yeah. <laughs> Because I've heard you in real life, you don't talk like that. Splitting hairs. <laughs> right, we should probably we should probably start. We could use it. I'm sure we can pop some of this in. But um, I mean, welcome to the show. Hello, how you doing, mate? Good to oh, see you. Good to see you. Thank you for coming on. Your voice is back. It's recovered. It is. Yeah, I was worried I was losing it. Well, I did lose it. Oh, no, it God, happens occasionally. If I'm if I'm overly busy. I was saying before we chat in the lift. Yeah. I had a Theresa May moment once because I was in front of all these students and I remember this. It was like when I only started doing stuff and I was there in fault going blah 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 load of lefty bollocks yeah. and then and then it just went it just went and it was like it, it was and, it, and it, the worst thing is it, I think it was quite a moment when I was talking about benefit cuts so it looked like I was actually just breaking down wow. in in tears but I I wasn't I just I just completely lost my voice and panicked. So, Awful. And did you have any water to hand or anything like that? I think I had some strepsils. Did they help? They did actually. Yeah, they were. They it, it took a couple of minutes of blind panic. So when that happened to Theresa May, I kind of was like, stop feeling sorry for her and stop feeling sorry for. Her. But I, I kind of went. I've, I've got. I haven't quite gone through that because I wasn't the prime minister in a conference when the whole premiership was falling to pieces. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was, it was still mildly embarrassing. But you did feel sorry for Theresa May for a brief moment. Well, you see, sometimes your humanity kicks in at times. You don't. And then I just think of terrible things she's done and think, do you know what? She's she's a very powerful, wealthy individual who's, you know, doing all right. She's not like gay refugees being kicked out of the country to Nigeria. And then I think, you know. But she has lost her voice. She did lose her voice. <laughs> not that that's any sort of equivalent. No, I think that of... is retribution on some <laughs> level, but not, not the sort I wanted, no. Because it could, it could look emotional, because, but, but I suppose as a speaker... I was going to come on to this later, but have you developed? Because you you speak at so many events. God, I'm sick of my own voice. I hate my own voice. And it's annoying because you've made me put on these... Well, you haven't made me. <laughs> you said you can put headphones on if you want, and I did. And, and I can hear my voice coming back, and it is grating, so I do apologise to your listeners who have to be subjected to it um, a little bit. I remember when I first started doing it, I used to like write down all these notes. Oh, no, I used to think read from stuff. God. Then off my iPad. Now I'm just like, no, you should just speak, and you, you don't... You don't want a pre-prepared kind of... I mean, I do have... You, you, you've got to have your stump speech. Yes. Where you regurgitate your... Your best your lines. Your best lines, exactly. Um, like any sort of gig. People want to hear the hits, right? <laughs> the big hits. They don't want to hear all the new stuff. But then people started doing, like, Owen Jones bingo. So like, are you going to do the Harvey Milk quote again? So I had to get rid of that because my friends kept coming and taking a piss out of me. And what were the other what were the other phrases? What were your stock phrases that you were using? Well, what? I always use that Harvey Milk phrase, which I do love actually. Which is, uh, I know you cannot live on hope alone, but without it, life is not worth living. That's good. That one. That's a great quote. And then uh, Frederick Douglass, who's a 19th century African American statesman, he said, um, "Power can seize nothing without demand. It never did." And it never will. I quite like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got your little quotes. I just steal it off other people by the sounds of things, don't I? Well, no, it's always good to quote. It always makes you sound intelligent as well. It does. It makes me look well-versed rather than just having watched Pride... Uh, not Pride, Milk. Milk. I've watched exactly. Milk, Sean the Penn. film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> God, that Owen's so well-read and just knows all about history. <laughs> no, he's just watching Hollywood films, isn't he? About LGBT <laughs> activists from the 70s. But, yeah, you know, whatever. It's always good if you quote someone that may be... Because Harvey Milk people have heard of. Yeah. Almost yeah. certainly because of the film. It is a film, really. But if you quote someone that people haven't heard of, they sort of have to pretend to have heard of them. They have to go, oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do you 
always, do you sometimes get jumping around a bit? But you know when you go to the theatre, and a lot of plays aren't, aren't very good, are they? I would say most aren't. Rubbish, and you have yeah. to pretend. But there's always that one guy, and we all know who he is, and he took, when it's one of these, you know, particularly quite heavy going, quite, you know, intellectual sort of play. Yeah. And he'll he'll go <laughs> really loudly. Not because he thinks he's not because it's he's actually laughing, but to go, ah ha ha, I understand that. I'm very clever. That's right, I understand that vague Chaucerian <laughs> yeah, exactly. gag about what was relevant at the time. I am intelligent, everyone, and I wish you all to know. Yeah. There's that. And there's also I what frustrates me most about the theatre is that there is a style of acting on the stage, and obviously you have to give it big because it's live. Yeah. But people in real life don't talk the way that people do on the stage. And that frustrates me. I'm like, you've developed this style of acting and everyone goes along with it, but people don't say, but mother, I must. I must seize this opportunity, not just for me... But for a family. Yeah, I mean, do, do you ever watch Big Train? The, uh, oh, I love the Big sitcom? Train. And yeah. they had this one, this uh, this one uh, sketch about uh, Shakespeare lookalikes, and they had all these Shakespeare lookalikes, and they all spoke in that kind of way they often do at the theatre. Go, and they they were talking about some famous Shakespeare lookalike and going, "Oh, he was the true likeness of the bard, was he? Nay, his true Shakespearean quality it exuded. He really, really looked like Shakespeare. <laughs> anyway, right. it was just yeah, really, yeah. it was just made me laugh. I remember that. Yeah. Big Train was incredible. It was it had Sean, um, no Simon Pegg even Simon Pegg and had um, uh, Rob Brydon who I love, uh, very funny man. Who else was in there? Mark Heap, yeah. Kevin Eldon, Catherine Tate randomly. Oh, Dune McKeegan, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What was your favourite one? I'm trying to think. Um, I really liked the wanking at work. Oh yeah, the wanking in the office, and then they go and go, "You're infringing on our civil liberties." When they ch- when they tell them it's bad, we're having no more wanking in the office. And, and you know, and someone picks up off, go, no, I, it's just, you know, I tried to send this fax over and I can't read what's been said because of, because of Dan's semen. <laughs> just, you're infringing on our liberties. It was great. It's like, there was like a shrub shaking in the corner where someone's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because he, he says at the end, oh, have you not what? listened to a word I've just said? <laughs> Very funny. Oh, I did love it. Um, we should probably talk politics. In fact, oh, yeah, is that what we're about? Talking about live events, though, <laughs> you were at Labour Live. I was. Labour Live, that apparent total calamity, which was a humiliation for them. But it wasn't. It was a great day, you see. They were like... I had this for... It was weird. I had all these people like Toby Young, who I'm, I'm not a massive fan of. He's a, For those who haven't had the misfortune of being equated with him, he's... It's quite quite an unpleasant right wing individual, but anyway, and he just kept he kept writing articles as that it was my event, and it was just like you know what humiliation for I was like for Owen, I was like what well, I'm, I'm I'm literally just turning up uh, to a music festival, <laughs> but it, it was actually it was actually great, and I, you know I like Clean Bandit a lot. I They're love a great Reverend, band. I love Rev, I like Clean Bandit. I love Reverend and the Makers. And have you met them? I have met I've, lovely I've met, lot. I've got to know John quite well over the last few years. He's a lovely lad, a northerner as well. So obviously we're biased. He's one of the. I think they are one of the most criminally underrated bands of the modern era. Yeah, they don't. You know what was it? The Contender song. A heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah, great song, great From, anthem. The first album, State of Things, is marvelous. Yeah. Open your window is another one in that sort of similar vein with that catchy bass line. But um, Labour Live itself, I mean. On one hand, no other party could have put on something like that. Maybe the SNP could have. No other UK-wide party could have put on something like that. And it was daring. Equally, I mean, most of the tickets were given away for now. And they said, like, it's kind of just like, it's a free festival in a field. Yeah, but I think with that, it was a kind of, let's give this a go approach. I mean, yeah. you know, the people behind it have never run a festival, organised a festival. And when people make comparisons with Glastonbury, it's like, that's quite literally one of the pillars of British culture. Like, yeah. it's been going for... 
for decades. It's a globally, you know, celebrated festival. They've got a massive budget. They've got huge experience. These people just like, look, you know, we've got, you know, we've got a mass membership. We've got all these people who are quite enthusiastic. We might as well try and do something with it. Let's do a festival. And, um, yeah, and obviously there were teething problems and, and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, I, I guess the danger is, is you, you know, it's a politically themed festival. Yeah. Uh, you start off with 35 quid a ticket and... And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it was an experiment, but I think next year they'll have learned what didn't work and they'll probably have quite a lot of... There were great acts there, but they'll probably have lots of bigger acts, I would imagine. They'll, they'll, they'll plan much further ahead. But I just think with it, I do think sometimes... I mean, to be fair, you know... I, I, you know, if it was four years ago, can you imagine the idea of a political party having a festival which thousands of people turned up to and was headlined by Clean Black Bandit. I mean, it would... It, I just think, you know, the f- it is quite unique that that's possible, and I think that does show how things have have changed. Um, yeah. And I just think, you know, it, it's a lot of kind of goalpost shifting. Oh, it's it's a novel event. My, my fear with it is that it was... The, obviously, Corbyn had his moment at Glastonbury, mm. fair enough, but that was a that was a festival that had sold out because it's Glastonbury anyway so it's not like those people bought those tickets to see Corbyn um, I, I, I fear that they're trying to sort of replicate they're like well we need a moment like that every summer so that people can have see Corbyn in front of these huge crowds and it's cool because it's music and everything else and no one else could do it and you're trying to chase that it was more built around his personal popularity rather than let's have a festival of ideas yeah, well, actually, what was interesting is the most packed bits were the tents of discussions. You know, there was lots of... Because there weren't many people there. Well, there were a few <laughs> thousands. How many festivals have you set up? Come on. Oh, none. 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 But I'd be for a very good reason. That yeah, it would be a bloody disaster. Uh, there were thousands there, and there were, there were lots of very interesting... You know, I, I uh, you know, opened one, and it was about these... Uh, it was a panel of of uh, young striking workers at TFI Friday, TGI Friday, sorry, and, and Mc... TFI, TFI. Chris Evans has gone out on yeah, strike. Yeah, Chris Evans' show from <laughs> the late 90s, and they're all on strike. No, T... T what am I doing? TFI, TGI. TGI. God, you saved me. Um, you obviously yeah. never eaten there. I, 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 had, I don't... I'm not sure I have. Very stodgy. Yeah, it looks a bit stodgy. It's like, what's the other one? The uh, the steak uh, one, or what was it? Oh, um, well, there's, there's various... What, the Angus ones yeah. that you get in, like, central London? Oh, imagine going there for an evening. Well, no, and then the McDonald's strikers, and they were talking about yes. young workers going on strike, organising, why that's important, debating, kind of, you know. And I just think the reason I, I like the idea is I just... What I've been obsessed with over the last few years is how do you try and find ways of engaging people in politics, which isn't just dry and dull and particularly younger people yeah. who have had a bit of a kick here. And, and and I just think this was just an experiment about, yeah. you know, let's think outside of the box, let's do something a bit new, a bit fresh. I don't actually think what was going through their head is let's just do some big Jeremy Corbyn popularity thing. I genuinely think they were thinking, how can we do something which is a bit more fun and interesting? And that is what they've tried to do ever since he became leader, really. And a lot of the times that's worked quite well. You know, those big rallies in the general election... I suppose traditional wisdom would be you just speak into the converted. What's yeah. the point in this? But actually, the research afterwards showed that actually everywhere he did those rallies, the vote went up substantially more, and that's because all those people were full of enthusiasm. Then they went back to their communities yes. and kind of you know spread that optimism and that enthusiasm. So I just think we should be more creative. I do. Th- I've worked in the media for seven years, and when I go on about the media, people go, "You work in the media, you dickhead." <laughs> but. It is so, it's such a snark fest. It's so mm. cynical and it constantly just, you get these journalists who aren't 
quite as witty as they might think they are. And they all turn up to Labour Live, basically, the new, they've probably written half the copy already. And they were just, like, competing with each other about how snarky they could be. And I'm like, yeah, fine, you know, that's part of the game or whatever. But I did think, you know, it, I just think that relentless attempt to just drown everything in, in cynicism is a bit... But if the Tories had put on something like that, you'd take the piss out of it. But they couldn't, though, could they? I mean, they did do Tory Glastonbury, and that literally was nobody in a tent. I mean, that was... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think I did take the piss at the time, but, I mean, that's fair game if... Like, you've got a tent with ten people in it, then yeah. fine. Yeah, I mean, you, you could, you know, and that's why when they were snarky about it, it's like you literally called it Tory Glastonbury and, and, and you got, you know, a very small group of people to talk about politics in a tent. This was thousands of people. Yeah, it wasn't, okay, maybe 20,000 people who'd yeah. all spent 35 quid on tickets. But I just think, it, you know, I, I think it was a pretty good day. Oh, what slightly shocked me was I thought, it, I thought they were going to sell it out at 35 quid a ticket. I thought that's going to sell out so quickly. I just thought he's got this huge constituency of people that do really like, like no, they don't just like him; they're they're in love with him. I thought it'd easy sell it. I thought they'll had a second date. The reason so I was I, slightly surprised that it didn't sell as well. The reason I didn't think that is because if you want to listen to Jamie Corbyn or John McDonnell or any other kind of politicos, if you're poor, so I don't want to listen to me. You don't have to spend it. You can just turn up for free. Any time you want, really, anywhere. But it's that wanting to support thing, isn't it? It's like you're you wanting to make... It's basically you saying, give us a bit of money. I guess so, but... It's helped Jeremy out, isn't it? In a, like, And I mean that in a positive way. It's kind of... But I don't think people... Because I think that's when we go back to this kind of, this is a cult thing, which I yeah. think quite a lot of people... And I do think, you know, obviously he does have a big support base, but actually for a lot of people it's, it is about the policies, what yeah. he represents, how you run the country differently. And I just think, you know, people were just a bit like... You know, they've got. It wasn't on a lot of people's radar, probably, but it, you know, it was just a case of if I can see Jeremy Corbyn speak whenever I want. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, Michael Crick, the the Channel Four news journalist, said in the election that he'd spoken to bigger crowds than any politician since Churchill. Yeah. And so I think you know, a huge chunk of the population have had the opportunity. So I just think it was just it was just an experiment, you know, and I, I I don't think it's any big deal. And I think I hope they do it again. And I hope they learn from what works and what didn't. Um, do you think are they are they planning to? Is that the, yeah, is that the word yeah, on the street? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely they'll do it again. They might not do it in London. They might go to Manchester. I'd like that. Because it is, you know and that's the other problem I think you know, there is that London centric problem of politics. Yeah. And I remember that because what I do, I don't know about you, but I, I try to go to schools and talk and do talks and stuff. And I found it. It's different for me. I think that they'd wonder why the fuck I was there. Yeah, you entertain <laughs> them and be insightful, combining the two. That's very kind, mate. Um, but I, yeah, because when I grew up, like my sixth form, we never got a single speaker. I was at the biggest sixth form in the country and no one came. The biggest, how many people were at your sixth form? Well, there were two campuses, but 9,000. Oh, my God! Oh, silly big, wasn't it? It was quite vocational as well, so it had lots of... Uh, so the oldest student in my French A-level class was 85, and she was called Beryl. Wow. And we had lots of, you know, like arts and um, things like social care and uh, football for life. People wanted to be football players, and they'd do a football course, and then... Brilliant. Add-ons. But anyway, but it was... Yeah, but we never... No one ever came and spoke to us. And, and, and so I do think getting... You know, I grew up in Stockport, and just getting... You know, having more things that aren't all about London because people get so pissed off about it. I don't know if yeah. you find that back home. People are, oh, that London, Definitely. is it, again? Yeah, yeah. And I'm a plastic northern who sold out my roots, so... Well, I'm from Nottingham, but I, I oh, know... Yeah, cool, cool, cool. But it, that's still northern, isn't it? No, really? it isn't. It's, it's Stop. More, it's, I hate it's, it when it's people Midlands, from the Midlands try and worm their way into the north. Oh, no, I would defend our right to be identified <laughs> as the East Midlands. Um, Good. But I feel more of an affinity with... 
the north and the south. You know, you travel to yeah. Sheffield, it's basically the same as Nottingham, it's, it's bigger. That's why I was born in Sheffield, great city. Lovely part of the world. I love that, I love I love Sheffield. Like when you go there, there's a special... Sheffield, I mean, I'm, I, my loyalty is, because I, I grew up in Stockport, but Sheffield, Liverpool have these kind of very specific kind of identities, don't they? Yeah, but Manchester's even cooler. I know Manchester's the greatest city on the planet, which is... I say that, but I don't live there, do I? So No, but, you voted with your feet, you <laughs> see. Um, I would live there. I would live there. <laughs> I would. I, just I wasn't even going to ask. Manche- Manchester is, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm just, I just completely in love with that place. But you're right about getting things out of London. I mean, it, it makes, it makes you realise how fractious the politics of the union are as well. Because even within England, people are always banging on about London. Imagine if you're Welsh, Scottish, or, or you're in Northern Ireland. Yeah, totally. Completely. Rem- it's, it distances people from yeah, that. Yeah, people get fed up with it. And I think actually, you know, as you say, even within England, um, you know, I think it's interesting with the Brexit vote because I think part of it was more, it was there was a far bigger anti-London than anti-Brussels component to it. Oh, that's interesting. Part of it, I think, was a kind of stick your finger up to, to London and everything to do with it. Yes. And um, I've met that. I remember during the local elections, where was I? I, was, I think I was in Trafford and there was this guy going... That London needs nuking, <laughs> which I thought was excessive, calling for the nuclear extermination of a capital city. But you know that there is, there is, you know, that is such a big kind of division. And I do think actually it's a bit of a problematic one because I don't know if you found that in, in, in Nottingham as well. But people often, when I grew up, saw London as this everyone's rich down there and mm. booming and prosperous, and that that obviously isn't true. It's got some of the worst poverty yeah. in the country like Islington you know Islington's this kind of bet noir isn't it the yeah. Islington set but 40% of kids grow up in poverty in Islington right. and Hackney is like the eighth highest child poverty so it's just weird you know there was always that caricature I had and even now you know my mate's kind of a bit like oh you sold out to, yeah. to that London yeah but you're always going to get that I remember um, George Galloway during the Scottish independence referendum and he was campaigning um, for a no vote to keep Scotland in the Union. I remember on Sky News debating with some guy from the SNP and he went, do you think, come with me to London, do you think the streets are paved with gold? Let me take you to Hackney. I was like, this is incredible. George Galloway just appeared in the studio. Yeah, it's always nice. That is astonishing. Good on it. I mean, he's so good as a speaker. Yeah, I mean, I always found it sad with him because, um, I mean, I thought... He's one of these people because you know I, I do have huge problems with him since. But growing up, when there were so few lefties with with any public platform, and uh, Galloway, I remember, you know, the, you know, the shivers going down my spine when I heard yeah, his yeah. big blistering speeches against the Iraq War, and you know, I think in their own right, the three best parliamentary performers were him and Robin Cook and yeah. Tony Blair, probably, oh, yeah. and, and William Hague in his own way. Oh, Hague was great, um, but. And, and there was him, and then there was Tommy Sheridan. That's right, yeah, 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 Citizen you know, Tommy. Citizen Tommy. And these were the, you know, and it, I just thought it was such a shame what happened to Galloway, you know, from Celebrity Big Brother onwards, <laughs> really. Uh, because I just always, back then, always looked up to him, I always admired him, I always, you know, I, I thought I saw him as this great, charismatic fighter of the left. And, oh, and an orator, like, in terms of raw ability, yeah, exactly, that's what gifted I mean, yeah. of orators. When I was in the Socialist Worker Party, I remember going to watch him give a speech in Nottingham, and it was just, there was only about five people there, but just the it was incredible. It was like watching Oasis in a pub. Like it was just his ability, and he would have this thing where he wouldn't let you applaud. Mm. So he would build to these crescendos and then deliberately cut them off, so that by the end there was just this explosion of emotion. People were just gagging to applaud yeah. him. So he'd build up, he'd ramp up these these arcs of oratory, 
and don't you let this government, Tony Blair, and his lies and all that sort of thing, you go, oh, my God, and you're just waiting for the punchline, and then you go, but brothers and sisters, <laughs> do not lose faith. And then you go, fucking hell, and then he'd like walk you up the steps again. Remarkable speaker. Absolutely. How long were you be for? I don't know why I went so high pitched. About there. six months. Six months. You know, I was 14, I think, and it was... I mean, I remember going... Well, I'll tell you what, what it was. I, I joined the SWP when I was, like, 14, and then we went on a protest against New Labour. So this yeah. was, like, 98 or 99. It must be 98. I remember being in a transit van with all these, like, really angry Nottingham leftists, and some guy got up on stage and was like, Tony Blair is a fascist, and, like, this is well, long before any military uh, adventures... And I was just like, this is, even at 14, I was like, this is very, very, this, I don't think he is a Nazi, you know. <laughs> so I like, just having to sit there going, is he? <laughs> and all the way back, I was just like, this isn't for me. And one of them, a guy called Dave, who I thought really liked me. I was like the youngest member of the group. And I was, immediately was then like in charge of selling, what was it, Marxism? What was the... Quarterly. Marxism Festival. What no. was the What was the publication like Marxism Today or something like that? Where it was like a quarterly. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in charge of selling that. Socialist Review, maybe. That no. was it. That yeah. was it. Socialist Review. And uh, I was like, God, I've got too much responsibility. I'm 14 years old. Like this is too. I felt like the weight of responsibility on me, and I ended up joining New Labour shortly but after. That, I thought it was really tragic the SWP because what they did is they. They, for a long time, they kind of tapped into this kind of idealistic strain of young people who were like, I want to change the world, socialism, fight yeah. capitalism, and then just burnt them out and drove them out of politics forever in lots of cases. So aggressive. Yeah. I remember bumping into David, I thought would... And he saved every copy of The Guardian since, like, the 70s. His flat was just full of old copies of The Guardian. He's a hoarder. <laughs> a um, Guardian hoarder. Yeah, and, uh, and I saw him in town, like, outside a pub. I was like, David, I said, Matt, I said, oh, how are you doing? I said, I've joined the Labour Party. And he went, you fucking bastard and like properly screamed at me oh my god like, oh god like right in my face don't you ever call yourself so like howling at me oh god <laughs> probably, right, mate? probably made the right decision um but uh yeah in terms of corbyn then because we talk about galloway's this great orator one of the things that does slight I, I get that people agree with corbyn and people like him and there is something unique about him that other politicians don't have certainly no other leader has but as a speaker he doesn't move me in the same way that, that Galloway did. But I think in a way, I mean, if you look at all the... I mean, I, take Spain. So I've, I've, I've travelled a lot in Spain with uh, Podemos, which is a, yeah. a radical left political party over there. And they they have all these political leaders with these thunderous, charismatic, yes. kind of captivating speeches. And, and in a way, I just kind of think that's a bit alien to our culture in that way, that kind of... The, the facts, you know, and I love a tub-thumping speech. Yeah. I love a kind of rabble-rousing, you know, that's why I loved Galloway back in those yeah. th- those those days. But actually, I think that is part of his appeal, that he's this gentle, softly spoken, you know, I think what people like about him is that sense of decency, uh, the way he speaks, that comes through, I think. And I think actually, you know, you can't call him demagogic. No. And that's always a danger, I suppose, with the left, is that, you know... You know, you, you can lapse into this kind of style which people find, you know, who aren't fired up lefties already, probably find a bit alienating and a bit scary. I'm sure I've done that, but you know. And, and I actually think the way he speaks, that kind of, you know, kind of just kind of... It's, it has its own charisma about it that people like, which doesn't... which isn't demagogic, which which I think is quite unique, but I think actually works better in some ways for a lot of people. It's definitely, it definitely almost, it reinforces his appeal that he's different. But 
I re- even if people, in a way, from a political speech, I don't mind whether I agree with the person or not. I just really enjoy a good bit of oratory or a great phrase. Uh, like in the darkest hour, you know, Churchill's phrase of this island yeah. story, you know, really amazing ways of thinking about how you use language to, obviously to, to convince, but also to some extent entertain. I just feel like Corbyn doesn't have that in his locker. I just, I wish he was sort of a, I wish he was a better speaker. I wish he could put fire in my belly a bit. I think he has his moments, but I also think, you know, during the election, well, before that, but there was always this kind of, you know, the Tories hat line was, you know, he's, you know, probably going to have photos of him in holiday at Butlins with the leader of ISIS and he's going to nationalise your mother. <laughs> and um, and then he kind of spoke and people went, well, what, that guy? Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, he's he, not some scary, menacing figure, just some quite gently, quietly spoken. When he's asked the question, he thinks about it, tries to give a, an actual answer to it. And, and I think that that works. That works. Be- and I also think it is partly, let's be honest, you know, it, there was a backlash to New Labour. Yeah. And obviously a lot of that was policies, the Iraq war. Without the Iraq war, I don't think Corbyn would be leader, but also things like tuition fees for you know the impact that had on younger people and then the, the financial crash and, and so on, uh, which is obviously a global financial crash, but just this general sense of you know politics of surrender to the market and the politics of deregulation and so on. And I think, I think also there was that sense though of the style, which seemed to be hyper-professionalised, yeah. politics as a career... And you did get, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I kept out of student labour politics. Absolutely stayed out of it. Loathed it. And, you know, you did get this sense of people who seem to have kind of rehearsed speeches since the age of 12, imagining they're going to be prime minister. Yeah. And and, and there was that kind of new labour way of speaking, often speaking without verbs. That's right. Bullet the future points, together, united as what you know and it's just and I I think that style of very polished very professionalised because it 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 became associated with a certain brand of politics so I think the fact he doesn't speak like that probably is part of his appeal he's seen as slightly less suspicious that he's not this rehearsed polished professional politician and I think that you know there was and Cameron as well was part of the you know he was seen as in the early days he presented himself as the heir to Blair and George Osborne and everyone called Tony Blair the master yeah yeah and, uh, and and so I think, you know, because it was seen as that was a certain style of politics, which people reacted very strongly against. And I think partly, you know, and actually looking back, I mean, I worked for John McDonnell uh, after I left university. So I worked for, him for about three years. Uh, so what year would that have been? 2005 to 2008. Okay. And um, I remember we tried to get him on the ballot paper to be leader. I remember. Did not go very well. Um, well, that was it. I remember because I was working for the party at the time. Trying to get CLPs to nominate there wasn't well, the, it was a ludicrous decision not to allow a leadership contest. Outrageous for a democratic party not to allow that. And I was saying to colleagues, with little influence I had, but it was just mad not to let because Gordon's going to win it, so just have it. Yeah, I mean, looking back, I'm, I'm more sympathetic in a way to their what they did, not not you know on on, on their terms, not my yeah. terms, because. It was the electoral college system back then, yeah. so MPs had a third of the vote. So it was very unlikely, I mean, impossible, really. John McDonald could have could have won, yeah. um, and you didn't have this sign-up system that that actually was people on the right of the party wanted. Um, some people on the right. Some people on the right, to be fair. <laughs> but you know, this whole three-pound sign-up kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and but nonetheless, you know, and we, you know, I worked with Andrew Fisher, who 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 is now the head of policy and wrote the yeah. Labour Manifesto. And, and we genuinely thought he'd, he'd actually do very well and shift the debate to the left. That that was that was the plan. That was the plan with Corbyn, by the way, when Corbyn stood. 
I remember Jeremy Corbyn said to me early on, he said, if I get 15 to 20 percent or 20 to 25 percent of the vote, that'll be a success. When he got on the ballot paper, he said, uh, I think it's John Landsman. Now make sure I don't fucking win. I think he swore. Outrageous. So, yeah, but I mean, it was. That does, I mean, that is slightly worrying that someone stands for something like that and he's on the brink of becoming Prime Minister saying, I hope I don't. He didn't want to well, win. It. Because I think that the whole point was it wasn't about him. He What he saw it back after the 2015 general election, the left of the Labour Party thought it faced complete oblivion. Yeah. That the. The defeat would be blamed on Ed Miliband being too left wing. That and that was the narrative they tried. That, Absolutely. That was fun. Yeah. Um, and the three Labour leadership c- candidates would just end up with a Dutch auction about who could be most right wing and everything from social security to the economy to to immigration. Yeah. And you know Andy Burnham had been the darling of, of the left. I, I love the guy. Lovely eyes, by the way. Oh, one of the most. He's fit. He is hot, isn't he? Yeah. He's so f- like it, it doesn't right. matter. Like I think everyone in Britain would. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I mean, he's got lovely eyes. I'm not sure I'd have sex with. I mean, what a thing lovely, to say. He's a lovely bloke. Uh, he is just a lovely bloke. Let's just settle on that. But anyway, but he, but he did launch. He launched his campaign at Ernst and Young, you know, in a massive accountancy yeah, yeah. firm, which is up to its neck in industrial level tax avoidance. So back then, there was a sense of this is do or die. Yeah. And the difference is one of the one of the things that helped Jamie Corbyn get on was he was seen as a really nice guy by other MPs. Yeah. It was also, you know, there was lots of pressure was put on MPs through the grassroots. We did this whole online campaign, bombarded them with emails and all the rest of it. But actually, you know, lots. sometimes, you know, I mean, what, when you look back at history and all its quirks, you know, if Eric Joyce, a Labour MP, had not punched that's right, some that's Tories, right. uh, which which then caused him to, you know, Falkirk, a, a Falkirk yeah. MP, well, then they, de- you know, he wasn't allowed to stand for the next election. And then Unite's candidate, Carrie Murphy, yeah. uh, uh, they, you know, there was this attempt to get her to be the candidate. She would have been a very good candidate. But then there was this whole thing of Unite trying to stitch this up. The then police was, got called in. Police got called in. Um, and then, because of that, Ed Miliband announced this new system to dilute the union's involvement, uh, which then involved a three... Pa- because some on the right of the party looked at the US Democrats and the Italian Democrats, and they had these primary systems and what, and the French socialists. Why don't we elect our leaders like that? And they thought our members are too left-wing. If anyone in the general public can join, they'll be less left-wing and drag us to what? Yeah. The s- supposed centre ground. And, um, and then what happened is that allows Jeremy Corbyn to win and Carrie Murphy is now his chief of staff. So that's yeah. quite funny in hindsight. But it is funny how, you know, history, it is sometimes these these quirky little accidents happen. But back then I remember those those days, febrile days, trying to get Jamie Corbyn onto the ballot paper. And, and it was more, you know, John McDonnell, when we tried to get him on, the threshold was actually lower. That's right. um, so it seemed very, very difficult and the amount of effort that had to go in. But one of the things that helped it was people who were not sympathetic to the left, some of whom thought, put him on. To give the le- to show the left a lesson, they'll get yeah. smashed, yeah. and then we'll you know that will resolve this debate forever. Um, but part of it, people just thought he was a decent guy, which you know even people who, who didn't like his politics at all who, who nominated him. Uh, John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn, uh, and obviously you were closest to John McDonnell at the start, you worked for him. He has a slightly different reputation, uh, John. You know he's seen as far more political uh, with a big P. He's also seen as quite fearsome. Like, like was he was he was he a fearsome man to work with? I genuinely think the way I, I do find the way him and Seamus Milne are portrayed is so far removed from the reality. I mean, Seamus Milne is often portrayed as this kind of dour, sinister Stalinist, yeah. and he's actually this kind of very witty, warm. He's not a Stalinist, and he's not he's not a Stalinist. <laughs> he's a Leninist. He's he's you know he's not he's just a proper lefty. But anyway, but he's but he's a re- he's actually just a hilarious, very warm, very charming guy and. John McDonnell, no, I mean, John McDonnell is, I suppose the difference between John and Jeremy is 
temper? No, actually, I mean, I mean, politics. Everyone, you know, you have to have a bit of a temper in politics, don't you? But I think, um, I think what I'd say the difference between them is is I'd call Jeremy Corbyn more of a a gut socialist, which is a sense of I'm not I've not read loads of books about you know I don't sit around reading all these textbooks about yes. socialism, but I have this gut instinct of things are wrong and unjust and should be better. Whilst John is, I would say more. Sorry, can we? I call Corbyn a McDonald's, <laughs> but you know, he's he's more of a. More, yeah, I think more ideological in the sense of this is the sort of society we need to build and his office, a lot of the ideas about the economy and so on, that, that's where they come from. What I would say about John McDonnell back then was he did get very frustrated with other MPs. because. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. I remember once we were doing this thing about, I think they were trying to privatise the probation service and you had this MP who... He did all the, you know, he led the debates against it. He led delegations to the prime minister, put down early day motions, which are parliamentary petitions. You know, he was the ringleader, and then he voted with the government. Yeah. And you know, it was a bit like, why have you done that? And he was like, oh, the whips told me we were going to, the government would be defeated, it'd be really <laughs> embarrassing. And I think he had a sense of, I go and vote according to principle, and you know, you know, and and I, and, and and there was all these other MPs who didn't have that same sense of commitment and backbone and I think probably that does get a bit weary after a while because the one thing you can't say about John McDonnell is he's not committed to his ideas he is actually also the other thing I'd say about him is he, you know he was very difficult to drag out of his constituency I mean that was a that's good that was a Tory constituency until 1997 yeah. and that was a safe Labour seat um, but he was a, completely obsessed with Hayes and Harlington and it was very difficult to drag him out but no, I, I, you know, he's actually he's quite a funny guy. He's quite a mischievous guy. He's not some, you know, the way he's portrayed, again, as some sinister Stalinist. That's not in any way my experience of him ever. I always think he sounds like he's talking through gristled teeth. He always sounds like he's trying to calm himself down. Oh, I've got to tell you, these bloody Tories, he's always... But I don't know. Like, he sounds like he's on the verge of rage. I only think the opposite in a way, because one of the, po- uh, one of the frustrations we had... Because often it was difficult back then to get any lefty on television, yeah. and they were always—they were just the usual suspects. Now you're everywhere. And they bloody everywhere taking over. <laughs> get him off. Um, and he, at the time, we thought he didn't. You know, he was like puts. You know, he actually put more passion in it. So sometimes when he goes into this bank manager yeah. phase, which I actually think is probably quite reassuring for lots of people, but actually that I, I don't think that's put on actually in the way people said it. He's not. Again, he's not some. That Galloway style, fiery. Yeah, top, yeah. I mean, he does do those speeches, yeah. but that's not his natural disposition. I wouldn't say. So that's like a sort of that's for gigs. Well, if you've got your rally, haven't you? You know, you've got all these fired up people, and you've you know they're like, yeah. you know, you want to you know. I think you want to do is calm them down. No, you're not like come on over and calm, just calm the fuck down, everyone. I think you're more into this than I am. I'm not that bothered. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. One of the things that, well, the thing that absolutely made your name was your book, Chavs: The Demonization of the God, Working Class. They still publish any old drivel, won't they? But it, it, it's um, it's something that's very close to my heart. Is that it is class and and the way that um, the working classes are sneered at. Uh, was was that a sort of chip on your shoulder that you wanted to get? I mean, do you consider yourself to be working class? No, I suppose, no, 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 no. I wouldn't call myself working class at all. And did you grow up working class? No, I grew up in a working class community, but my parents weren't working class. I mean, my my dad's worked for Sheffield City Council, so my dad was uh, a full time in the militant tendency. That's right, he was the uh, organizer for South Yorkshire Regional. He Union. was, and uh, your mum was a lecturer in IT at Salford University. That's correct, and uh, and the problem was when I was born in the middle of the miners' strike, and my dad was very. You know, completely committed. He was at Orgreave. He was at Orgreave. And um, I know your life more than you do. I know, it's really just. <laughs> and you read Wikipedia. Um, and, uh, rumbled, fully uh, rumbled. But he, um, but he threw everything into that. And, uh, and, and, but then 
they had four kids and the revolution does no pay the bills. <laughs> so he had to get a job, on, you know, working uh, kind of office job in the economic regeneration department, I think, under David Blunkett. Um, he lost his job in the 90s. Um, I remember that, well, he was unemployed for two years. But yeah, my mum my was a lecturer in, in IT at Salford. Um, no, I mean, the people I grew up with were, you know, I grew up in a working class community. I was the only boy in my primary school to go to sixth form, let alone university that I know of. I'm all went to prison. So I think for me, it was always... Um, Still in touch with them? Yeah, 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 yeah. I talked to people I grew up with a lot. I mean, but I think a lot of, you know, for me, it was, it was about... Um, it was. It was what it was trying to do was. Uh, it, it was trying to argue against this Thatcherite idea that um, th- that you know we used to have this idea of social injustice was because society's flawed. It's the system at fault. Mm. And then what Thatcherism promoted was actually these aren't social problems. They're individual failings that you are responsible. You know, it, those who rise to the top are the, the people at the top are there because they're successful, they work hard, they're the best. Yeah. People at the bottom are there because they're lazy and feckless and work shy. And that that then justified and rationalised an unjust and unequal society that yes. inequality is deserved. So I wanted to argue against that. I didn't like the way, you know, I went from Stockport to Oxford, which was a culture shock, and meeting people there from very, very different backgrounds than the people I grew up with who denied the existence of class and didn't understand it wow. to find our society, I found astonishing. Um, but also, for me, it was a sense of without class politics, you don't have a left. And, you know, this idea that there is a majority in society whose interests are actually on a collision course, as I would see it with the people at the top, and that had been stripped out of of, of politics, this idea everyone's middle class, apart from, the, you know, the supposed failures who hadn't, you know, yeah. been aspirational enough... And and that was fatal to any idea of left wing advance. What was interesting about that book, though, is it came out because back then, before you know, when I was writing it, class had been a, you know all middle class now was so dominant as a yeah. as a thing. And the reason I think the book got a reception is because people were ready to talk about class again. You had yeah. a financial crash. Um, you had caused by those at the top. You had a Tory government come to power with people from very privileged backgrounds. Their policies obviously had a very bad impact. On many people from, from from much worse off backgrounds, and I think people were just ready then to talk about class. And it's interesting because Tories talk about class, don't they? What I did worry about, and I wrote about in the book, um, at the time, was I worried that because there'd been an abandonment of of class yeah. by New Labour, um, a lot that right wing populism would sink its teeth into class politics and say the working class is demonised in this country, and they're demonised by this liberal left metropolitan elite in london who are trying to destroy who hate working class people hate their identities and are trying to and destroy they think you're racist and bigots they're trying to destroy your way of life with multiculturalism and i do think that did happen nigel farage and the rest ukip uh, did try and tap tap into that and you can see that even more now with tommy robinson and, and that whole phenomenon yeah so i think class politics is so important that that you know as an understanding of how of of who has wealth and power and who doesn't, and if the left doesn't talk about it, then this new populist right definitely will. No, I totally agree. What I find fascinating is I grew up work. I mean, not even working class, underclass, you know, a single parent family on benefits, and the snobbery that you face from people who go to work if you're on benefits is like you're even lower than than working class people. Um, is that that made me a Blairite? That I I grew up under Blair and don't feel like he deserted the working class at all. He tipped cash into schools and hospitals. Um, he totally understood that crime w- was a major problem and that people needed to feel safe. And as someone who was repeatedly burgled, 
that was something that really resonated with me, and I consider myself to be a left-wing person to some, you know, marginal extent, but still. And I just thought he totally understood working-class people, Tony Blair, and delivered for them. Well, I think, I mean, what I'd say about that whole new Labour era is actually the left... One of the arguments that was made after the financial crash by the Tories was to say, well, actually, this was to do with Labour's overspending. That's right. And I actually think Labour surrendered a lot to that narrative. 100%. And Wrongly. Well, that's the thing. And actually, that investment did have a huge impact. You know, I saw it growing yeah. up with my own schools. I, you know, and whether it be the NHS and, and uh, whether it be, you know... you know, there are, I mean, there are massive problems, like the failure to build housing and the epic housing crisis that happened... Existing council house stock was renovated. That was very important. But, you know, uh, you know, and I do think a lot of the investment was compromised by things like uh, creeping privatisation, the, the, uh, the private financial initiative in, in the NHS, which has saddled, you know, it's like paying for public services on your credit card and has, has saddled, you know, the NHS with huge amounts of, of, of unsustainable debt. So I would say actually, you know, but actually I did think for a long time the left was particularly passionate about defending Labour from accusations that spending on schools and hospitals yeah. had anything to do with a crash which was caused by the financial elite. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, when Tony Blair in his own memoirs said, he went on about how actually we should have cut back spending and so on. So I do think there was a surrender. And so in a way, the left, in a perverse way, I mean, this is trolling you, I know, they actually <laughs> made more of a defence of that new Labour the good bits of the new Labour heritage. I mean, what I do think the failures were, um, wages for the bottom half started to stagnate um, from 2004 onwards and, and, and fell for the bottom third thereon. Uh, that housing crisis I mentioned, you know, the fact that we've seen home ownership obviously fall uh, to the lowest level since the 1980s, and that, that began then. Uh, but also the failure to replace the council house stock that was sold off, that four in ten of the old, uh, you know, of what was sold off onto right to buy is now under buy to let landlords who charge twice the rent of social rents. Yeah. Um, and the fact the private rented sector isn't regulated properly. So, you know, but and, and, and the fact that a lot, some of the damage that Thatcherism inflicted in a lot of communities wasn't properly reversed. Yeah. You did have things like tax credits and that did make a big difference and I would never deny that. And, you know, people I, I, I know now depend on them and they, you know, they faced having them and they have faced a lot of those yeah. being cut under this government. But the failure was often to replace, you know, what happened is a lot of secure, well-paid jobs disappeared and replaced with quite hiring fire, low-paid jobs. So, and and that, that wasn't properly addressed in that era. And oh, then you got the failure to regulate the banks, which oh, was, wasn't, you know, Labour didn't spend too much money. It was just the problem to regulate the banks. So I would say, yeah, it's not like I'd go, new Labour's like the Tories. And I don't think most of the left ever did do that. But some people, I mean, the, you know, that is the attack line, isn't it? That we might as well just join the Tories or red Tories or, you know, mocking this Kendall up with a blue rosette. Like That is the that is the attack of the time, is that we, we are no different from the Tories, that new <laughs> Labour was like some sort of continuity major government. Yeah, I don't agree, and I don't agree with that. And, you know, actually, you, you'll hear, actually, John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn making and have made repeated defences of the good thing. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn will say that PMQs. He will, you know, sometimes just go into these defences of what Labour did in government. Uh, in but it's of- rare. And, 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 I mean, one time he could have definitely done it was during the European referendum when he could have really reminded people of the good that happened, particularly in terms of the minimum wage and a lot of the social chapter and all the things that, that, were, that were done on a European level. Well, the minimum wage wasn't. I mean, that was 
that was, that was what signing Labour up. To, that was yeah, of course, yeah. But that was but that was a new Labour achievement. Sign up to the social chapter that John Major kept us out of. So that was that was you know that was a Europeanism to some extent. But he wouldn't he wouldn't praise during that referendum anything that the the ninety seven to twenty ten government had done. And you just think well, I think that was I think the what they recognised at the time rightly I think is there was massive disillusionment with the political elite. I mean that's part of the reason we ended up with Brexit. I, I don't you know I, they did but get those Labour voters out and get them to vote to stay in the EU surely. But a similar percentage of Labour voters as SNP voters voted to remain. And I, I don't think people say, well, the SNP failed to bring out their voters. I mean, obviously, the large... They didn't spend very much, actually, the SNP. You know, the, 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 in terms of people, that has been levelled at them, in, in fairness. But their spending on the referendum was, was pitiful. A, a large majority of Labour voters did vote to remain. Yeah. It was the Conservative voters who... Barn is such a close knife edge. But You've I... have got a few more out. I, I, I mean, the responsibility for Brexit is the Conservatives. They called an election on the basis of an internal factional Absolutely. Dispute. Well, to try and, and head off UKIP in the 2014 local election. Exactly, and then you had basically this fight between two wings of the Conservative Party. But he could have done more, um, can he, Corbett? I mean, no, he, he I, had the opportunity to do more. The reason I don't agree with it is they looked at the Scottish referendum, which admittedly, yes, of course, was, uh, te- you know, it was independence didn't happen. Yeah. It started, what, 28% of people supported independence, ended up on 45%, and it was, at one point, looked like it was going to be a near yeah. miss if, if not independence could actually happen. Yeah. Um, and because Labour stood shoulder to shoulder during that campaign with the Conservatives. That caused a massive collapse of the Labour Party. It contributed to a collapse, I would say, of the Labour Party in Scotland, where you do get people going, you're the Red Tories and all the rest. You still do. I just think in that referendum, what they tried to do is go, look, this is not a nation of people who are going to, you know, put the EU, paint, face paint the EU flag on their faces and go around waving the flag. I think they tapped into a sense of, you know, the majority of people who voted Remain... Um, have problems with the EU as it currently exists, but it's yeah. better to stay in it. That's what I, that's where I was. I had huge problems with the EU. I still do. Massive problems with the EU. But I thought it was the right thing to do. I think if he'd done some tub-thumping, the EU is brilliant and great and, and, and lined with the Conservatives, I think it could have been worse. I think it would have looked like the establishment, uh, you know, coming together... Um, um, in this very elitist way, which is what the Remain, the official Remain campaign was dire for that reason. Yeah, it when the time we live in is febrile, people are fed up, they're angry, uh, they suffered the worst grease in wages of any industrialised country other yeah. than Greece. Brexit's going to make that worse. Well, I don't like Brexit, but I, I, I don't know what you can do about the fact really... we lost the referendum. Well, I just... I, the point is, we could have won it. Well, and had Corbyn really gone into it, and you don't have to say I'm best mates with David Cameron. No one's ever going to accuse Jeremy Corbyn of being a Tory ever. If he'd have said, "Look, in the national interest, at a time, a, a unique time, uh, at, at the only time we're ever going to have to do this on this one issue, I agree with him. I disagree with him on everything else." People would totally have got that. But I think the problem was he how powerful he, he that would did, have been. What a politician he could have been. He did, I think, more public meetings of the uh, during that referendum of any major politician the problem was I think he was eighth the, pro- the problem in the table wasn't well, he? I mean, he the leader of the labor party should be top of the league by miles was, on, was, on, on supporting the european he union he was very active doing rallies all over the country but it, well, and, there was, and, you could smell and, you could no, was, i think the problem was it was inevitably framed as an internal conservative party dispute because it had been called as a means to try and diffuse those tensions uh you know it was an attempt to join the you know ukip was on the rise they wanted to win claw back those votes the right wing of the Conservative Party were 
were chomping at the bit over it. Yeah. And that was a means to appease them and, and help win the election. And then, as a consequence, the whole thing became this intra-party, which it was, fight and struggle between the Boris Johnsons, the Michael Goes, and the David Camerons and the George Osborns. Yeah. And I just think it was difficult for Labour to get an in then but I, I don't I wouldn't go back and and say you know it was David Cameron who lost that referendum he called it he lost it absolutely and the official Remain campaign was this corporate load of bankers and all that and you know and they completely misjudged it was stiff it was naff you know there was some good um, in principle, I agreed with them. You know, I didn't enjoy the campaign at all. It was horrible. Um, and it was vicious, you know, they injected. But Corbyn could have helped change that. Corbyn getting on board would have completely changed the tone of it. He, I just think he did. And I, I, I struggle to look back and think what dramatic intervention could he have done that would have turned An around. event with David Cameron. Huh? Do an event with David Cameron. I, share a platform. I, 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 re- How, I mean, share platforms with all sorts I, of people. I, I really think that would have looked... In, given the experience of Scotland, it would have... I mean, you say he would never be seen as part of the establishment. I don't buy that, actually. People don't, you know, only dip in occasionally to politics. They just go, we don't know much about this guy. He's only just become leader. There he is, standing shoulder to shoulder with the Conservative Party. They've got this big campaign with all these bankers and all the rest. What he had to do was go, look, this is a country which is Eurosceptic. Most people are Eurosceptic to a degree, yeah. including millions of Remain voters. They're not like these people often on Twitter who are very, very, very yeah. passionate about the European Union. Um, and you've got to have a campaign that appreciates that. But I'd just be saying, you know, I'd say people should be angry with the Conservatives for what they've done. This totally is agree. Their, this is their cock-up, you know. And, and now we've got to deal with... And, and, and I do think a lot, I'm afraid, of, you know, the continuity of Remain thing is not learning those lessons. Oh, I totally agree. Um, but if you... As Corbyn, as a as a man of principle, would say, you know, if you believe in something, you, you keep you keep fighting, and that's what people who think that it's a disaster that we're going to leave the EU, as it increasingly looks like it's going to be. I mean, it it feels to me it's not just sour grapes. I've lost elections and all sorts of things. Actually, I think the experience in Scotland, I, I would I broadly agree, but actually, I think the problem in Scotland, the reason why the Scottish Labour collapsed wasn't because they shared platforms with the Tories, it's because they were totally ineffective at explaining why, and owning the union as a political idea. They were totally scared. They were they were put into a tailspin by the SNP, where a lot of heartland Labour voters were voting for independence and they didn't know what to say to them. And instead they should have said, staying in the union is, is not just in your economic interest, it's in society's interest. I made a good Labour case for it. And instead they shit themselves. Well, I think they did try... And they still are. I think they did try and do that. I think the problem was, looking back... Because if you think about it, it's, it's almost like a, a, you know, three parts. There was the... Scottish referendum wasn't there in 2014. Yeah. Uh, there was Brexit in 2016. And then there was a general election in 2017. Yeah. And and the Scottish referendum was the first kind of big, you know, there's massive anger and disillusionment yeah. with the status quo. And in Scotland, that's how it manifested itself in, you know, Scottish uh, support for independence. Yeah. And it wasn't some big brave heart kind of, you know, blood and soil thing. I mean, yeah. there was an element, of course, of that. But my uncles lived there, and they voted for independence, and they're in, you know they're English yeah. uh, born, um, and and a lot of people did it because they were fed up with society as it was, and they you know it, and they wanted to stick their fingers up to, uh, you know, it, it was seen as kind of do you support the status quo or not? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah. And and that was the same with Brexit. That's why I was convinced we were going to you know Britain was going to vote to leave. I thought of some of the people I grew up with. I was like, I can't quite imagine lots of them trooping to the polling station mm. to vote to remain in the European Union. And, and I just think the only way you can judge properly, you know, the spirit of this time is to accept that people are angry and febrile and want radical change. But, and anything that seems is very status quo and pro-establishment doesn't work in that context. But isn't it possible to, to deliver radical change 
in a way that doesn't inflame and, and pander to that anger? Because that's what I worry about. I, pe- I feel that people say, on all sides, well, people are angry, so get angry. And I actually think, people are angry, you want to calm them down. Like, well, you absolutely need to have policies that, that, that sort their lives out. You're not telling them to shut up. But I would rather have politicians that say, let's compromise, let's work together, let's... I think, the pro- I think people aren't going to stop being angry just because politicians tell them not to be and you know it's their lived experience isn't it you know yeah. their their pay packets are stagnating or falling they're struggling to get a decent home yeah. they've got many of them an insecure job um the optimism that a lot of people once had about the future particularly younger people is, is gone and yeah. that's because for the first time in a long time younger people can have a worse lot of life than their parents are you optimistic lot, about the future yeah very optimistic what gives you hope um that i genuinely think that we are you know i i grew up in a family which was so committed to the idea of socialism, but it seemed like, blimey, that's got a bit of a kicking. This is the worst possible time to, to believe in any of this. Yeah. But it is possible. It is plausible. And I think that, for me, is... Also, when I just travel around the country, I just meet just amazing people who are so full of hope and optimism, and so many of them have been so desperate for so long that their lives are quite tough. Yeah. But they genuinely feel that there's hope. And for me, that's just incredible. To see young... Oh, that's the other thing. When I was growing up, and you must have felt this, yeah. you know, when you were in the SWP briefly and stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, but, like, other young people were just totally turned off on politics. Oh, yeah. Totally. Like, you start talking Completely, about politics, yeah. I'm like, all right, shut up. Yeah. But now, I'll go to sixth forms or universities or do talks or whatever. It's all these young people, and then I don't want to sound harsh, they're not like... They're, they're like the cool kids... They're like cool kids. They're like whoa, whoa, whoa. kids who are into like. Speak for yourself, mate. No, but they're like into sport and. I'm into fashion sport. And... No, but I mean. I've got Stuart Pearce t-shirt. Right, on. You're not a geek. I'm not calling you a geek, mate. Calm down. <laughs> but it's like you know, I always remember it was often you know quite an eccentric taste and quite eccentric. Oh, I kind of miss that though. Do you? I'm I not quite en- I quite enjoyed sort of being the only one. No. In a weird way. Got fed up with that. Got fed up with that. I mean, most of my mates were just never political. Oh, and that was. A lot of them aren't. I think that's quite healthy, though. I think I'd go mad otherwise, to be honest. I mean, it's so much part of my life that... But, but uh, you know, what's important is to have two things. Friends that take the piss out of you rel- yes. relentlessly. and food. Oh, and food. <laughs> right, there we go. <laughs> yeah, those are the two. Those yeah. are the two. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, of course. To, food, water and abuse from people who death. are supposed to care about you. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, I mean, we've sort of meandered around, which is wonderful. One of the things that Chav's also taps into is not just almost the sort of Marxist analysis of, of class struggle, which is absolutely right. It's also the snobbery of, of Chavs, wasn't it? It was it was the you know, when, when the upper classes were wearing these brands like Burberry, it was fine. The moment working class people got their hands on it, there was this denigration of the brand and, and it was seen as but what in terms of the word chav, because I've heard so many different historical explanations. People said it stands for council house and violent or it was an old Greek word. That's a backronym. People invent acronyms which never existed in the first place. But it's, That's so, good, because I thought it was yeah. BS. Um, it which, is, which does stand for bullshit. Yeah. Um, what about... <laughs> so where does it come from? Well, it's most likely to come from the word Chavi, which is a Roma word for child, um, which kind of metamorphosized. Um But yeah, I mean, for me, it wasn't really about the word. It was about what it represented, and it was yeah. this idea that... You know, I mean, they did this one, they did this study and they were like, you know, what's what do you think of when you think middle class and, and working class? And it, it was just as done by Britain Thinks, Deborah Mattinson, who's, yes. a, who's, a, who's a pollster, former pollster for Gordon Brown. And she, um, 
just people. And people came out with working class, like, so not, you know, teenage pregnancy, antisocial behaviour. Oh, God. That kind of thing. And when they asked, with, with, with middle class, it was like classy and uh, that kind of thing. And Value then the, judgments. And the, the one thing, the one item they came up with... Uh, to sum up being middle class, was a cafetiere, which I thought was weird. Have you got one? I, I don't I don't think I do, actually. I don't really like coffee, though. As a, I just have More coffee. of a tea man? PG tips. Really? I always forget to take them when I go away. I get so annoyed. Go to Spain, and I can't do without having a, a proper cup of tea. Yorkshire tea, surely. Stronger. Well, you see, I'm not a... This is that weird product placement. Are you going to get... You You're know, advertising, you capitalist. It's like Come I'm a partridge pen- again. Pen- I'm talking <laughs> with these chocolate Terry's chocolate oranges. Oh, shop soiled, yeah. So, there was some superficial damage to the box. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I mean, uh, what were we talking about again? We were, back, we were talking about class. It was, it was the snobbery oh, yeah. of Chaz, yeah. wasn't it, that, that made it... That, uh, uh, do you think that helped sort of contribute to, to the book, that it wasn't just in as a political book, it was it was social? Yeah, it was cultural as well. It was about, you know, they did this... Uh, so, uh, Vicky Pollard, for example, who was this very, you know... Uh, um, it was in Little Britain of, you know, this feckless teenage... You know, yeah. uh, sorry, ch- teenage Pink mum. Suit. Exactly, he was so thick, she swapped one of her kids for a Westlife CD, that kind of thing. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> But they did this poll. They did this poll of TV producers at the Edinburgh Festival, yeah. and seventy uh, percent or something thought she, said she was an accurate representation of the so-called white working class. Wow! So yeah, I mean, it was obviously looking at those kind of cultural kind of manifestations of it. The way I looked at it is, if you have an unequal society, which is so unequal, you've got to end up. You've got to cut, find a way of justifying it, and that does mean portraying those who have lost out as being the architects of their own fate. Yeah. Um, and if you've got such a grotesque kind of concentration of wealth in so few hands you've got to come up with a way of saying well they deserve it and others don't so for me that's what it was all about but it, what i was the, the the key thing for me was this i was it was i was fed up of um not fed up but it what i was trying to do was find another way of you know if i'd written a book called class in britain you know yeah. who would have read that yeah i mean you know the Owen way- jones and ep thompson just <laughs> The only two on the bookcase. He's amazing, E.P. Thompson, so I won't know a word against him. But um, but there is that kind of, you know, I didn't see the point around re- writing a left-wing book unless people read it who weren't already signed up lefties. Yeah. You know, I wanted people who, you know, if I go to a school and people who grew up on the estate around the corner read it. And yeah. that was always my aim. And, and so I wanted to make left-wing politics accessible, and that yes. did mean talking about pop culture and stuff like that. Um, and that was always the problem with the left, I thought. It was very dry and, you know, it it wasn't, you know... And a lot of people at the time, a lot of left were like, this isn't very theoretical. Yeah. But I was like, it wasn't supposed to be theoretical. It was trying to be accessible to people who but it was don't very journal- sit around reading theory. But it was very journalistic as well. You know, it's, it's, it's extensively um, uh, researched and, it, and it, it, it reads not, you know, I mean, in a good way. It reads like a... Sort of extended dissertation. It's a proper, it's well, a proper body of work. I don't know. I hate writing. You know, so oh, did you, it's it, so boring writing. But it was an attempt at the time. I mean, for me, I didn't expect much of it. You know, it got rejected by every publisher going, and I'd given up pretty much. And uh, Verso, a very small, really? um, brilliant, radical publisher, they took it on, and I, I just thought it would be, you know, or uh, maybe it'll get reviewed in one paper, and yeah. you know, and that'll be all right. I did not in any way expect the response it got. It was like you know just throwing something out there without thinking very you know it was going to be this big thing and you know it was very bewildering and disorientating but i did it as a means to an end you know i don't want to i didn't want to be a writer people i grew up with like the idea i'm a writer find just ridiculous because i never spoke about it but i saw it as how do you get across how do you get people to debate politics and discuss politics and get you know on in this case i wanted people to talk about i wanted people to talk about class 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Again. Yeah. So you went from working for John McDonald to then being a published author. Now, I mean, how would you describe yourself? Are you a journalist? Are you a commentator? Are you a... I don't know, really. I mean, I never really think about that too much because... Because if someone did... says, I mean, what, what you, you know, you meet an elderly relative... Oh, yeah. ...who maybe aren't aware of... You know, I imagine it's highly unlikely they're not aware of how well you're doing, but if, if they say, what are you up to these days, Owen? What job have you got? What would you say? I don't know, gobshite. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I, you should put that on a business card. <laughs> that'd be amazing. Owen Jones, gobshite. Um, yeah, I can't. I don't have business cards. It, that would be the sign I'm taking myself too seriously. I think. I, I think. I don't know. I'd say an activist and a writer. I mean, you know, every, my writing is a means to an end. I sometimes get this from people go, "Oh, how can you be a journalist? You're biased." I'm like, I'm an opinion writer. My job is to literally. I'm paid to express my opinions. Does but, that become exhausting? Uh, Do you sometimes think, "Oh God, I say the same thing every week." Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> and that's just from my friends. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think. I, I do. Th- I do find it odd sometimes because I just did not want to do what I did. Not, what I do now that wasn't an ambition. So obviously you get a lot of crap that comes with it, and you sometimes yeah. like, oh, for God, oh, this is just so, you know, because all I wanted to do was try and find a way to fight for what I believed in. Yeah. You know, it sounds pathetic, but that is true. I don't think it sounds pathetic um, at all. And but I and, and I wanted to try and you know use that to try and encourage other people to get involved in politics. And what I think is amazing now is. You know, before 2015, without getting you know going all small, small, smallest violin in the world kind yeah. of thing, I was quite an isolated left wing figure in the media, and and now that is changing. Yeah. You know, we are getting more and more people. Ash Sarkar, Matt Zarb cousin, uh, Aaron Bastani, Ellie Mayo Hagen. Uh, you know, there are more and more voices coming to the fore. Uh, which I think are more in sync with where particularly younger people actually are in this country, because I think there is an older commentariat which is very set in its ways yeah. and very disconnected from, and, and very bewildered by politics and very cynical about it still and want to return to old certainties, which I think have gone. Um, and I think that for me was always, you know, how do we, you know, I'm part of the movement. I happen to have ended up with a bigger platform than others, but all I ever wanted to do was, you know, fight for that sort of stuff. But you've got to pay the bills, haven't you? So, like, do you sometimes think... You've got to be distinct from the other left-wing commentators to keep the work coming in. No, do you think actually I'm going to be a bit more? I'm occasionally going to say something that might, you know, make me sound a like Blairite just to 
keep Bastani from getting the cash. <laughs> no, no, not even the slightest. I mean, sometimes... I mean, it's funny, because one of the things you do... Like, you know, I'll get abuse and stuff, but one of the things I always find the most exhorting is the bad faith argument, which is you're only saying something not because you believe it, but because you have some sort of ulterior motive. Yeah. And all not, not a single person who knows me would say... You know, even when I say things which you know end up being unwise, uh, well, say, like, are there any are there any sort of greatest hits in your own mind? Where you think oh, I shouldn't have said that? Well, like you know, I, I suppose before the referendum and this, you know, I, the referendum a year before it, I I'm, I, said, I put forward the kind of Eurosceptic left wing case, yeah, and I coined the word Lexit, which was an error. Oh, um, but I didn't say we should leave. I said we should debate it. Yeah. You know, and that should be discussed and debated. Um, and I was more at the time there were a lot of people on the left who were worried that David Cameron would sign away as part of the, his deal our you know workers' rights and yes. so on as part of our EU membership uh, on the basis that the left and the trade unions will everyone will just vote and campaign for Remain whatever happens yeah. and that was important to kind of challenge that I think and go well actually no the left won't do that um, and so I think looking back but looking back at you know it's like mate you know. The, the, look at the people who really, 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 really want Brexit. You know, this is a the, these are the most reactionary, xenophobic, bigoted political elements. Not saying about Leave voters, incidentally, yeah. there were millions of people, including people I grew up with, who voted Leave for a whole range of reasons. But I should have gone, look, come on, don't even indulge this. This is a this is you know. But I didn't do it to be controversial. You know, and I'm not some sort of contrarian. If anything, I'm often the opposite. I'm trying to like, how do you get this? across to people who aren't necessarily lefties. But I obviously make mistakes. I mean, of course well, I do. We all do. Yeah. Um, Annoying, isn't it? Oh, it's awful. When some old tweet surfaces from, like, oh. 2013, you go, God. Know, what was I doing then? Just delete it immediately. Do not like, drink and tweet. The... Oh, it's an awful. Do you, do you still do it, or have you managed to sort of... Yeah, I think what I'm trying to do is just... yourself in. I am trying to just... I mean, a lot... I mean, is anybody going to lie on their deathbed thinking, I wish I'd argued with a more stranger on Twitter? It seems... <laughs> It does seem unlikely, uh, and I do need to learn that because some of my friends sometimes are like, "Why are you doing this? Why? Mute. Why are you arguing? Yeah, exactly. Why are you arguing with these people? Yeah. What? Are you, what is the best case scenario? And you're just going to get yourself annoyed. Yeah. You know, you, you're just, you know, they're, they're never going to agree. They're never going to change their opinion. You know, they still think you're a bad person. They still think you've got these ulterior motives. They and still you think amplify you're their voice to your followers. That's the problem. Oh. I mean, we all fall. I got involved in one recently where you just, you, oh. You can't help it. It's always going to happen. No, you're like, you just you're have to like reduce... stop being aggravated by these people. And um, yeah, so I think Twitter is, you know, and I, sometimes I'm like, just, just, you know, I've got to write a book at the moment, which is awful. And What's it about? It's called The Politics of Hope. I'm trying to be cheerful. Oh, there you go. I'm very cheerful. Obama-esque, a centrist well, message. It's annoying, that, isn't it? Because, it, yeah, the order, I know the order, but he's not copyrighted the word hope, has he? No, but like in terms of what words are associated with, you know, it's on the posters and everything, wasn't it? It, it is associated with it. I've not stolen Obama's idea, right? It's K- not the same. Kate Osamar has um, stolen a few of his words uh, over the over the years. Big fan of Kate. <laughs> My favourite bit, and it obviously surfaced recently on YouTube, the, the video of her basically plagiarising is not just any old Obama speech, but. <laughs> Well, his, his acceptance speech to I, I be president. I haven't seen that video, but wasn't it just... I mean, it wasn't like... Oh, it wasn't like some word. address to the nation, though, was it? Oh, it it was. wasn't like this was some big kind of public... Oh, it was. Oh, what? Not Kate's, but his was. Like, if you're going to plagiarise Obama, don't pick the one speech that the whole world watched. Wow. It's probably just a homage. It's my favourite bit. It's, I mean, it is word for word, but she just there's one bit in it where she changes... He says if there's anyone tonight that, that thinks... America is a place where all things aren't possible. And she changes the word America for Edmonton. <laughs> if anyone thinks that Edmonton is a place 
where all things aren't possible. Joe Biden once did it to uh, Neil Kinnock's speech, didn't he? That's right. Why am I the first Kinnock in a thousand generations? Yeah, and you love Joe Biden, probably, don't you? Oh, I like Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, we, you know, the people make... Yeah, but it's cool when it's that way round. What do you mean? Well, like, if if a big name plagiarises a relatively unknown... Didn't well, he have to resign at the time, though, didn't he? Wasn't he standing in 1988? So he... I mean, it's mad that that was a resignation issue, isn't it? Yeah, because he did the thousand, uh, why am I the first Biden in a thousand years? Right. And he said to go to university or something. That's right, the old Kinnock speech. Yeah. But it, like, if you're going to, it's kind of, it makes more sense that they would nick material off smaller acts than, you know, you don't, but like me turning up and doing like, garlic bread? You're like, what are you doing, <laughs> mate? Peter Kay does yeah, this. It's a homage. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's very funny. Um, there's so many things. We're running out of time and there's like a million things I still want to talk to you about. Um, what about then? In terms of, we were talking about platforms earlier and I did get this off your Wikipedia page, so it might not be true. Oh, but you spoke at a Sinn Féin summer school in 2015. Now, I know we've all moved on, but is there a part of you... Well, not everyone has. I interviewed the leader of Sinn Féin today. That's not helping, is it? Well, oh, well, no. So that summer school, no, no, no. Yeah. It, it, I think the way you sound, make it sound, it sounds like some sort of you kind of like some sort of paramilitary training camp. Was what? it? Uh, yes, no. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm now going to get interned <laughs> onto anti-terror legislation. I think what I'd say is about that is they what they do is invite a range of speakers there. So they have unionist speakers. They've had yeah. you know people from the Alliance Party, which is the kind of centrist yeah. party in in the north of Ireland, and they were in government. I mean, obviously, power sharing suspended. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, the, the conflict is over, you know, and, and, and in exchange, you know, and one of the things you will hear me praising Tony Blair about, if you want me to praise yeah. him, Go on. is that peace process, you know? I mean, obviously, I wasn't very happy about the Iraq war, but the yeah. peace process was a massive historic gain, and part of that was bringing Sinn Féin in from the cold, yeah. that they then became a legitimate political party who would fight for their aim of a united Ireland by peaceful means only. Yeah. And, you know, that bringing them in and treating them as a legitimate normal party, I think is right and is is one of the reasons that we don't have people dying in the streets of not just, you know, in the north of Ireland, but also Manchester here in Britain, places. Manchester and places. So I just think, you know, you know, I, I yeah, I spoke there because... You know, I mean, I mean to be honest. Look, I speak at Conservative Party conference each year and do a range of fringes there. How do you find it there? <laughs> um, I do remember one. Twenty fifteen was quite funny because uh, I spoke. Um, that was just after Jeremy Corbyn became leader, and uh, I spoke. <laughs> I spoke at this fringe, and this guy, what was his name? Oliver Cooper. I think he was one of the leaders of the Youth Wing, Conservative Future. And he went, and I would like to thank Erin Jones for his sterling efforts in helping to elect Jeremy Corbyn as leader of the Labour Party. And the room went, rah, 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 like that. <laughs> and at the time, I was like, oh, God, this is embarrassing. Yeah. What was funny, actually, was, I went in 2015 and 2016, is they treated me a bit like a kind of a... You know, like, if you saw a hippo wandering down the road, you'd be going, yeah. oh, my God, what's a hippo doing here? Yeah. I'd probably take a picture of it. Yeah, and they were a bit like that. Everyone wanted kind of a hilarious... And they all wanted selfies, and I'm sure they put, you know, put it on Facebook with That's a hilarious cool. comment. That's cool, like, though, isn't it? Or, like, ooh, this stupid comment I've just seen. More popular at the Tory party conference than you are at the label, aren't we? Is that true? Mm-mm, no, I hope not. What was not. the selfie count? Rel- mind the you, selfie there count. are more people at the Labour party. There are. Um, no, but it was... Yeah, I mean, it was... Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, it, they saw. I think at the time, though, it's because I'd, I'd be interested to see if I went. La- I couldn't make it last year uh, for family reasons, but 
if I'd gone then, I think they wouldn't be quite like, oh, he's just a harmless little pet because the left were a joke. And I, I, I guess people probably... I guess the Tories are... Because I get now, particularly off Conservative supporters online, like, really quite over the top. Abuse. Aggressive. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. What Awful. are the, like, common things that you get called... Well, it depends, doesn't it? So I've got right. So I've got the um, I've got the the old right lot yeah. who are you know, and some of that's like and far Info right. wars and whatever planet it is. Yeah, and then and, and a lot of it the far right, so death threats and threats okay. of violence, and that's probably not that amusing. Though I, d- I no. don't take it that seriously, to be honest. So. No. Um, but that's a bit relentless. Uh, a lot of quite quite intense homophobia. Uh, is a, is a, is a common theme? God, um, I mean that's just kind of a you know a, a big obsessive thing of theirs. Does uh, that? Have you developed a, a, a well? I was going to say a rhino, a hippo-like skin to that sort of stuff. Are you? Yeah. Does that bother you? It's or? weird. It, it stresses out my friends and people I'm close to it yeah. a lot more. They're like, God, that's horrible. That <laughs> those comments. I mean, some of it is kind of um, funny enough. During the EU referendum, I did this. Uh, I, 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 I um, you know, I'm staying in the. I want to stay in the EU because, and I put something like because I want to fight for better workers' rights across the EU. And, and some far right person uh, changed it by Photoshop to um, I want to stay in the EU because I want to punish, uh, take away Britain's independence to punish it for colonialism. And that went viral on far right Twitter, and it was like wow. inundated with like, when I see, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slit his throat. I'm going to hang him from his testicles and, and inscribe traitor in his chest. Crikey. Was Quite like, homoerotic, I like, like, No, a lot of it is, honestly, some of it is like, come on, you obviously just, just want to have sex with men, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you just can't deal with your feelings. Uh, yeah, so some of that was a bit, you know, a bit kind of like, blimey, that's graphic. A lot of it's just obsessive. It's just kind of... But then, obviously, I get... Um, uh, I mean, at the moment, it's not abuse. It's just relentless. Like, the, some of the anti brexit And they are entitled to fight yeah. for their cause. But literally, anything I post, they'll be like, but you've got to Brexit, stop. Like, And this is quite funny, I'm not saying this to kind of, you know, when my dad died a few months ago and I posted a eulogy for him. And it was quite funny at the time, because predictably I got there, yeah, but what about stopping Brexit? Oh, my like, God. Oh, my <laughs> Jesus. So oh a lot of it is just obsessive, but I think I've just learned to go, look, you just need to disengage from this. This is silly. You're not going to change these people's minds. You're always going to have people who think you're a dick. And you're just going to have to just... But your Twitter must be mayhem, because I get a bit of stuff here and there. But, you, I mean, your tweets will go viral anyway, so you get, you're getting loads of retweets and likes and whatever, and then you're getting all this abuse. I mean, do you, do you ever think you'd be better off not on it? Often, yeah. I mean, I get what I often get is, if I tweet something, it'll get quote-tweeted by the key kind of... Oh, yeah. Acolytes. Ka- or Katie these. Hopkins or, uh, you know, these key alt-right or far-right figures, and then you get you know, their kind of wing monkeys come in and, and, and I often get a lot of Tory MPs will quote to me all the time and then quite aggressive followers will... But I kind of think what I've done is I've changed my notifications to people that I follow, so I need dip in. Because uh. uh, I think I probably would go a bit mad. I mean, most people are actually nice, and even if they don't agree with me. Yeah. I always find it weird, though, because no one's ever come up to me, apart from one fascist who's threatened to punch me. Um, as no, You know, there must be people wandering past me quite a lot going, that, lift, that little lefty bastard... Can't stand his stupid little prepubescent <laughs> face, but they never they never come up and say that. Um, but it, it's in real life, people are always lovely, even if yeah, they don't agree with you. Right. You know, they'll go, "I don't agree with everything you say, but I'm glad you're there," kind of thing. Um, yeah. uh, but but online, yeah, you've got you know people do not communicate like they do in you know as they would in in a pub. You know? you're, you're a highly effective campaigner online. Like, do you when you're writing a tweet, do you think? Because we all redraft at some point. You go, actually, oh, you've gone over the character limit or whatever. What do you think is like the formula for a for a viral Owen Jones tweet? Like, 
Is there a style? Is there a is there a, an equation that you have to have certain things? I don't. Th- I genuinely don't think about it too much. I think sometimes it's funny because I think on Twitter I probably sometimes come across as a bit. I don't dour, but a bit like, oh mate, take the day off. <laughs> um, you know, which is not actually how I am in real life. Um, but I don't know. No, I mean, it depends. Sometimes I'm. I mean. Do you I think, think, oh, that's not, that's not, that don't sound outraged enough, that's only going to get 10 likes. No, I don't think, I, do, I genuinely don't have this calculated approach to this thing. Yeah. I mean, again, I think people probably think that about people on the left, that, because you do get that people like, this is performative, this is an act or, to some degree, or, or you've got, just on the left, or you've you got a brand, think, or, yeah. and I don't see it that way, I don't, I don't consciously think, you know, oh, what's on brand, or how's this going to get loads of retweets? Or, or, oh, is God, that your internal only... voice, is it? Yeah, is that... that's, that's literally how it's... How... Why do we put it's it it's, all, it's, all, it's either that. When I do... You know when people do impressions of other people, it's always uh, that Terry Jones in The Life of Brian. <laughs> oh, look at me! Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't... I mean, I do obviously try and get a message across, but I'm not doing it to go, look at me, I want loads of retweets. Yeah. You know, I'm doing it because I think... I want to mobilise people. And obviously, if I want people to turn up to things or if I've written an article, which I think is important. It's annoying, though, because sometimes I write an article. Like, I wrote one about gay refugees being kicked out of the country. Yeah. And then if I write something just whinging about Boris Johnson, everyone goes, you know, and I spend, like, half an hour on it. <laughs> and then everyone retweets it. And then on gay refugees, people are like, Do they, uh, like, in terms of being employed by The Guardian or you've got a contract with them, whatever, do they... If that ever has to be renegotiated, do they talk about reach and retweets? Is that something that they monitor? Uh, not that I know of. They could do. Yeah, I, no. But they'll not... say, come on, Owen. No. You only got a million hits last time. No, I mean, I guess they're probably sometimes a bit like, oh, God, I wish you'd calm down. Um, because obviously, you know, I mean, I mean, it is tricky. But, you know, people have to negotiate the fact that in the media now, that political reality's changed and they need to give a platform to people on the left. And yeah. I think... There is this sense of uh, people, you know, there's a way of a respectable kind of columnist should behave. Mm. And because the left is this kind of insurgent force which thinks it's been ignored and sidelined for so long and finally it's got an opening, you know, there is a sense of, you know, we've got, you know, and, you know, it, there was a certain fiery element to it which yeah. people somehow see as is, is not respectable, is a bit off, as abusive even. Yeah. And I find that frustrating because it is... You know, my Twitter feed is often just a shitstorm of... I'm not doing this in a little violin way. No, but no. But it's so intense, like, extreme abuse and all the rest of it. Um, but then you get this kind of the left are abusive and, and you know, it, it, it's it, the narrative is online abuse. is this kind of left-wing phenomenon. And I'm not saying there aren't people on the left who it, it can behave like dicks online. They clearly are. <laughs> I've had it myself. But I think, you know, it's just... It's not... I, I, I find that's weaponized in a way to say because you get this as well when the left go on TV. I've got this a lot. It's like you, you know you're you're just a campaigner, you're an activist. You shouldn't yeah. be on TV. But then it's a bit case of what they're saying is you know what what is an acceptable left wing voice on politics? You know, well, it depends what TV show you're on, doesn't it? I mean, if, if you're popping on Antiques Roadshow giving Marxist <laughs> invective, then it probably you probably has gone too far. Bloody love to go on Antiques Roadshow. I bet you've got some great political memorabilia, haven't you? Uh, like handed down from the family. Oh, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, my my, my parents are. Uh, from the Trotskyist tradition, yeah. So I have, um, I have the collected works of Lenin from the Soviet Union. My parents went Lovely. on a road trip to the Soviet. They're not spies. Uh, they went on a road trip to the Soviet Union, came back with loads of uh, of uh, Moscow Publishing House original Lenin collected works. Brilliant. Is that is that brilliant? Was it? Yeah. Oh God, I love stuff like that. Old football programs, old manifestos. <laughs> I've got some old Margaret Beckett leaflets from, yeah. from before she was Margaret Beckett when she stood in Lincoln. 
before she ever she was a five round ben, benite before she ever graced Derby with her with her presence. Got... She threw um, when Kinnock, I think, uh, when he didn't vote for Sony Ben. That's right. She, 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 threw... she threw a shoe over a pub. What have you ever done? What have you ever done? <laughs> <laughs> she threw. That's funny. It made me laugh. I've been watching that in the gym. I've started doing this thing where I go to the gym to try and be healthy, but take my iPads because it's boring. So what is the workout regime? What is Owen Jones's workout? So what I do is I try and do now, what I try to do is, because um, it is boring exercise, isn't it? So I try yeah. and go for a run for like 40, 45 minutes, but watching like The Office. So I've been doing That's that. Great or idea. This Life. Do you ever watch This Life? God, the old Channel 4, At, 90s. No. Two, BBC Two. Oh, was it BBC Two? Absolutely love this life. So now... Um, Andrew uh, Lincoln was in it. Andrew well. Lincoln, he was fit by then. Yeah. Oh, he's a good-looking guy. <laughs> he's uh, fit now, isn't he? Yeah, but yeah. yeah I he's, think he's better-looking now. Maybe. No, no. Producer saying absolutely no way. Daisy's shaking her head. Uh, there are two, They're not. No. He's too fresh-faced back he's then. He's a zombie now. <laughs> he is quite... He's is not a real zombie. He's he, only acting. Has he turned into a zombie now? Take like a Walking Dead, literally. I stopped watching Walking Dead after Series 5. It's a bit like... Because like, I love... <laughs> I watched them, but I have been, um... <laughs> yeah, that would be method acting, wouldn't it, if he actually became a zombie. No, but I've, I've um, I watched uh, 28 Weeks Later, the zombie oh, film, I yes. love that, in the gym, because then you can run and pretend you're getting chased by zombies. and that That's makes, quite cool. Makes you Because sometimes I listen to the soundtrack when I'm running, it's like, I'm being chased by zombies, you better, better it is, it is. You do have to pick the right thing, because I sometimes have tried watching football... And the problem is, I then run at the try and run at the pace of the game, or like I'm <laughs> jutting my leg out. Just as it's a nightmare, I try and listen to music and just block out the fact that exercise is even happening. It's horrible, isn't it? Exercise is nothing good about it. It's ra- it's horrible, but I'll do like a steam room afterwards, and then maybe a bit of a jacuzzi. Yeah, I never really go That's into nice. that. I mean, I'm one of those people who find massages quite stressful. I can't. I've, I've never had one. I'm too ticklish. It's oh god, that is a problem. Isn't I honestly it? think that if I was <laughs> massaged, I would like. <laughs> Shit! <laughs> Blimey! Well, I think it was like I think I would expl- I think it's just I can't. I've, I've got such a nervous. Yeah, I'm just is. like get off me. I'm yeah. just like that's just like oh, it's horrible. Why would anyone want to go for a massage? The idea of like a stranger doing it. But I've started doing. Um, <sighs> have you ever done? This sounds like a product placement again. But you know, Headspace, the app. Have you ever come across it? No, what's that? And it does this thing where it teaches you how to like meditate and calm down. And I'm trying to do it to just kind of like chill out. <laughs> Been a bit. all day. Uh, but also just to concentrate better because I've got often a very, as you can tell, a very bad concentration span. So, um, so I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to come up with a new regime of just help because I'm 33 now. I might, and I'm not actually. The running joke for ages was like, "Oh, he looks like a 12 year old." But I, I've done the voice again. But um, <laughs> but actually, um, age is age is cruel. No, but you still look very young. It's better to look young than look old. You say that, but... Oh, it is. No, no, I agree to a degree. Yeah. And But I, I, I'm worried when I turn 40, it'll just, like, overnight just go, and people will be like, do you remember when everyone jokes about how young... What? Owen, Owen Jones, the really old-looking, shriveled-up prune guy. Um, but no, but the, the downside with it is, especially when I started going on telly, people were a bit like, does his mum know he's out that late no literally that was like it was and i didn't mind it except people make except the same she, joke over yeah. and over again it was and like your mum didn't know and that's how she found out she, she gave you such a bloody oh, idea I was grounded for weeks <laughs> um so that I, I guess people the danger is if you're trying to talk about serious stuff i.e politics yeah if you look quite young people are a bit like what on earth is this kid doing on television and i still have that to a degree because the left is often infantilizes it's silly it's juvenile you know it just it needs to grow up yeah and you know and and it's either you're too young, either you're too young, uh, you're naive, you're too old, you're a dinosaur. Yes. But it, so I think, it, to a degree, it doesn't. So I think people um, grow a beard. I, I need to go through puberty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would look. 
I do actually, if I try, honestly, if I don't shave, I look like I'm going through the violent throes of puberty. I just doesn't... I, I, can no, you imagine me with a, uh, a beard? It would not... I can. Sort of John thought... Landsman-esque sort of... <laughs> I love John's. I love John Landsman's uh, shirts. He's he's kind of, he's become a fashion guru. But you, do you not feel that as a radical lefty, you should have a beard? Like that's part of the that's part of the rites of passage, isn't it? That's is it? John McDonald's and that one. Loads of them did, didn't they? Like a, a good old beard. Tony Benzer didn't. No, but loads of them did. Stephen, uh, yeah, it's like Stephen you're sticking Byers, to it. St- Stephen Byers had he, one. He started off. Yeah, Alistair Darling looked amazing with one back in the day. Alan uh, Alan Milburn used to be a uh, Trotskyist, didn't he? He had. Do you know he had a bookshop called The Days of Hope? Which everyone said it was, was the haze, haze of, of dope. dope. We've yeah, read a lot of the same. We books. are we are so sad. We are pathetic. I like Losers. Alan Milburn. I like the sort of gentle. Northeast accent he's got. I like it. I like his stuff. He's not like way a. He's not like Biffa Bacon from Viz or something like that. But he's got, he's got a nice gentle. He'd be a great. He'd be a great. Um, he'd be a very good man of God. Well, he'd be a great religious man. <laughs> I do like that. I like sometimes people have very soothing voices on radio, even if I don't agree with them. Oh, very Nick soothing. Robinson for me is like, if he started doing audio books, I would listen to anything. Yeah, he's got Eddie Mayer for me. Got a lovely. I see Mayer. I it's like too I- strong. I think. Is, I, 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 I like find Robinson's it... whispering, and yet yes. the oh, Prime yeah. Minister finds herself at the <gasps> end of another week. You go, oh, this is lovely. That is amazing. And he really structures interviews, doesn't he? So set up an idea at the start. Do Robert Peston. Do you do requests? Go on. I can't really do Peston. But what, I can't really do the voice, but what Peston does is almost start off asking one question and then, and then oh, yeah. by the end of the sentence it's a different... Uh, Owen Jones, you were. How is it that <laughs> yeah, when you talk about the, he's like, what is gonna? <laughs> he doesn't. Good. He's not in control of the question coming out of his own mouth. No, no. Oh, I can't do a lot of them, but Robinson. Oh. Robinson yeah. Gee, sound like you're weird crushing him. I remember when he. I uh, do a bit. I did. I did. He's an, coming on it. Oh, I don't want to. I did jinx an, him, I did I an event with him. On. I did an event with him. I did um, uh, because he got in touch because he was like, I'm from Macclesfield which is near Stockport, and it's got a Stockport postcode, which it doesn't deserve. Um, stop trying to worm your way into Stockport's <laughs> amazing kind of... Stockport's uh, the posh bit, well isn't it, really? no, People always say... Because I had this, Simon Danchuk, he probably liked. But anyway, he was a former Labour... No, that's a no. Oh, well, I don't and, mind uh, it. Sorry, joking. <laughs> uh, he, was, uh, he was a slightly odd character, and he once said to me on TV, he said, uh, and you're from the posh part of Stockport. And I was like, what? And I'm not actually... For, like, there are, I'm never claimed to be working class. I'm not. I'm no working class hero. But I'm actually not. I'm from near the centre of Stockport, which is which is definitely not a posh part. There's, there's Bramble, Cheshire. So there's the Cheshire bit. Yeah. But they would never call themselves... Cheadle. Yeah, exactly. But they wouldn't call themselves Stockport. They'd say Cheshire. Uh, but no, I mean, the bits of Stockport I'm from are, are definitely in no sense anybody could ever call them posh. Kale Green, Davenport, that kind of thing. Sure, Heath. But, um, but we did an event together in Macclesfield because he was like, I'm from a Tory background. You're a bit of a lefty. So we did like a big event in Macclesfield. Great. And it was, I mean, it was the last week of the referendum. Blimey, that was mad, that was. That was like a different world, isn't it? It was a very long time ago. So in terms of your ambition then, because you say it's a means to an end, mm-hmm. these uh, debates they have online, the, the articles, the books, um, what is the end for you? Like, what, what what would you like to be? Do you want to go into Parliament? Death. No, I don't. I genuinely don't have any ambitions. I mean, I, 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 I am very much almost a day-to-day kind of... Do you know what I mean? I didn't... I did not set out to be a writer. I didn't set out to go on TV and yeah. babble. I didn't set out to do, you know, the stuff I did. Um... It, 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 you know, basically what happened was I wrote a book. It it got more attention than I expected. 
various newspapers got in touch and TV shows to go, will you come on, will you write this about it? And then they went, oh, will you come out and talk about other things? Or, yeah. or can you write about other things as well? So I went, yeah. And then I did that. And then the Independent got in touch with me and said, do you want a column? And I went, yeah. They got then, yeah. And then... And then I ended up at the Guardian, but I didn't like have some big kind of this is what I want to do or drive. So for me, no. I mean, I, d- I don't want to be an MP, no. And what I'd like to do is try and encourage other people, particularly from underrepresented backgrounds. So a lot of the, so for example, in before what I do is in terms of supporting MPs who get selected. So people like Angela Rayner and people yeah. who grew up on the neighbouring street. For me, funny enough. Wow. Um, love Angela Rayner. I love Angela Rayner as well. But she, uh, so people like that. Before you know, I'd, I'd campaign and support them being selected, or Clive Lewis in Norwich South, or uh, Rebecca Long-Bailey was another one. Um, I'm not saying I got them selected, by the way, but I was very keen on (laughs) supporting them being selected because we need more women, we need more working-class people are very passionate about that, we need more BME people, we need particularly working-class women in Parliament. But that's sort of tied to your broader morality, isn't it, and how you'd like the world to be. What about your personal ambition? Like, Do you think, oh, I'd like to do that? Host questions, oh, you know, whatever it is, is there something where you think... I was on Pointless and I won. Did you? I was on points. I bloody lost. Well, I, when I say I won, I didn't get the final, final bit, but I got the trophy. I was on with Mark Watson. If you get the trophy, then you've... Yeah, you've I've won, won. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But well I didn't done. get the final thing, which is, you know, like the ra- the special round so at the end. you're a perfectionist. Don't worry about that. I, well, got I, know, I got down to number two. I was so gutted. Oh, my uh, God. I know. I was like, oh, God. It was uh, your... What was it? Uh, Eurozone Capitals. Um, Crikey. I know. Well done. But, um, yeah, but what but, is your personal number? Do you think... I don't know. Do you, do you I've had moments which yeah. have been like... I, I mean... I spoke at the Durham Miners Gala twice. I was yeah. the youngest person ever to speak there. I was very chuffed about that. That was a big deal. That's cool. Um, that was a bit, you know, big tradition and on the left and the Labour movement. But do you think, oh, if Jeremy wins, I'd love to work in Downing Street no. for him? No, no, not at all. I mean, a lot of my friends work for him and they're doing yeah. an infinitely better job than I could ever do. Um, no, I mean, I, I just I just don't see myself that way. And I you don't... must have some personal ambition, though, like career-wise. I, 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 I genuinely don't. I oh, mean, Owen. I, and sometimes I'm a bit... You're a politician to the core. No, it's true, though, honestly. And what, the thing I do worry about is I do often find writing very tedious. I don't like the solitude of it. I've just come yeah. for the British Library now. Um, great place to write. It's great, yeah, I like it, yeah. But the amount of people up in that news section, oh, too many mobile phones going off. Oh, I know. Outrageous, and, and it's not policed. And people just chatting and just just things People like sat around talking shit. Yeah, just shit. And talking just... shit about books. I'm trying to inflame some far-right nationalists yeah. over here, mate. <laughs> I've got the old right kicking <laughs> off. Don't you, don't you know what? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just for me, I genuinely just, if I can... Um, I mean, yeah, so I don't know if I can just keep writing forever. I genuinely don't know. I did for what for a while. I was like, oh, God, I could just give up and be a teacher or something. But Set up your own academy. Uh, there you go. Fuck off. What a great... <laughs> wouldn't that be the marriage of... Yeah, I can see that now. A socialist... I mean, Cohen Jones' socialist actually, academy. That does remind me on that, actually, because... Because, obviously, Michael Gove there, because people say to me, they go, oh, we're getting into politics. And, like, two... Just the most striking example of two journalists becoming MPs are Boris Johnson and Michael Gove, and that is not a good... They're different to you, aren't they? There are also a lot of other things. So when you were working for John McDonnell then, before the book, let's say he'd never written Chaps, what would you have done? I don't know. I genuinely... Oh, be an academic, sorry, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I did, I did, I did. I I mean, I I started a PhD, which I quit, because I'm a dropout. Um, I imagine it's how hard... To achieve, I mean, PhDs are hard to do. Isn't yeah, it? I was doing it on the rise of the American right and how it won over working class Americans because I was interested in not how the left do well but how the right do well. And, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I didn't. I realized I didn't have the right uh, character for academia because it, because it's so specific. Obviously, yeah. uh, you, you you pick a very niche topic, and uh, and and I was more interested in kind of general stuff. But I thought at the time I could become an academic and occasionally write stuff for newspapers and contribute to left wing ideas that way. And you know. Um, for ages, when I was growing up, I loved Noam Chomsky and yeah. people like that, and so I looked up to that kind of thing. And also, you mentioned before, people like Eric Cobsbourne. I worked for him before he died. I used wow. to, the historian uh, Eric Cobsbourne. I did his uh, arch- helping to archive his work. It was an amazing honour that. And people like E. P. Thompson, that historian. So I did look up, you know, because I did history at university, and I did think for a while becoming a, a historian in that tradition. But no, I just didn't. I just didn't have this big dream or or. Uh, obviously, I wanted to contribute to what I believed in, but I don't know really. Oh, God knows what I'm going to end up doing in ten years. Blimey! You got me. It's exciting, Owen. You've got, got, got a wonderful. Now. You've got a wonderful future ahead of you. I'd love to way. have kids. I'd love to have kids. Oh, there you go. I'd love to be a dad. Yeah, I think that I'd. I'd, I'd yeah, I'd be really, really depressed if I didn't become a dad. And do you, do you think about how many kids you'd like and of what gender? I think two. Two boy and a girl. Gender, I'm easy. Okay. Yeah, I don't know really. No. Have you not... thought about names? Well, What's the female version of Owen? I can't call my kids Keir now, can I? My son Keir after Keir Hardy, because my cat's called Keir. So yeah, and people, are, people now would think it was after Starmer. Oh, well, I get that all the time. When I talk about my cat, they're like, ooh, is that Keir Starmer? No. Yeah, it's got a better haircut for starters. He's got, Keir Starmer's got a great haircut. I like it. I don't th- I'm a big fan of Keir Starmer. I like a quiff. Yeah, but it's that back, it's that parakeet back. The parakeet back. He's got the. It kind of doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't comb over properly. It's a at the perfectly back. decent haircut. I don't know. I think he needs. I think he's not a bad looking fella actually, and I just think he needs a better haircut. I think the haircut's optimal, oh. uh, and uh, I think it's fine. But yeah. no, you can't call. You couldn't call a son Kia. So no, what, Tony and Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna. Jeremy say. and John. So. <laughs> What is the we will just find it because I've taken far much of your time than I promised I would. Okay. What's your relationship like with? I mean, I suppose you are a Corbyn historian. That's not a pejorative term, but like with Corbyn supporters, because there was the period with yeah, Clive yeah. Lewis where it looked like you were you yeah, know, organizing for I Clive mean, to replace Jezza. which I wasn't. I was going to write. I mean, I messed up. There's no question about that. And I think looking. But what did you do that messed up? Well, I think why always I think I succumbed to despair, which I did, and I think I succumbed to because what I thought to myself was, um, I think what happened was is you know as I said again, smallest violin in the world, but I, you know, I felt quite isolated before twenty fifteen. I often didn't enjoy that very much. Personally um, isolated, or yeah, very much so because I was just that token lefty, and everyone was just like you know, oh this ridiculous Dave Spark character. <laughs> so I got all that stuff, and then after the general election twenty fifteen, which I thought was remarkable. Had all these people going, oh, Ed Miliband, you know, kowtow to the likes of Owen Jones and that's... And I had all these people going, you know, as though I was somehow partly responsible for that general election defeat. Yeah. Dan Hodges, who I quite like, actually, but he tweeted, the one thing Labour must now learn is to do what the exact opposite of whatever <laughs> Owen Jones says. And it got retweeted by everyone, like Adam Bolton, Jeremy Vine, like they were all retweeting it. Wow. But then I campaigned for Jeremy Corbyn to, obviously, to become leader. And at the time, I was I really was pretty much the only person on the platform in the media... Who backed him and I, you know, did all the rallies and and, and Sang on the people's TV. flag. I did. I did all the columns and the Guardian about it and 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 you know and social media tried to organise people to join and put pressure on MPs to nominate him in the first place. And I got so after that, I lost friends over that. People like you've helped to destroy the Labour Party. Wow. People I grew up with, they said to me, "Will suffer because of your self indulgence or not self indulgence." Mm-hmm. They're just like, "What the fuck? What the fuck have you done?" Yeah. And what I th- I, I think. You know, I got so many people... It was th- this term they used, um, 
some of them privately, the uh, one of the guilty men, uh, which is a term used for Nazi appeasers and thirty, oh who'd helped to destroy the Labour Party. And I did when things obviously looked very bad, the polling and all. You know, and this isn't to absolve myself of responsibility. You know, I made my own, I'm responsible for my own you know mistakes. I think because I felt still I was an individual in the media, with, in, which was not of a quite a difficult environment. I think I'd remove myself a bit from the movement of which I was part, and. You know, I did think when it got to the stage of Labour's on twenty, you know, twenty four percent at one point, um, that I just thought, you know, I was convinced there'd be an early election, um, and I, you know, historical precedent was such that on that polling, Labour would suffer such a terrible defeat that socialism would be extinguished in Britain. And people, because I grew up with people always going about nine eighty three. Oh, Michael thought, you know, you say anything vaguely left wing, did that nine eighty three? Look what happened, Thatcherism, and all, you know, suicide notes. Yeah, and and I just think what I did is I, I succumbed to that idea. I, 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 you know, an MP came up to me a couple of weeks after the election was called. I mean, it was the LGBT awards, and I'm not having a pop at them because you know I made my own mistakes. But they came up to me and they were furious. They said finger pointing in my face, you've helped destroy the Labour Party, people suffer because of what you've done, Labour MPs will lose their seats, yeah. you know, screaming at me, and, and this uh, Telegraph journalist live tweeted it, and uh, and I felt terrible, I felt absolutely, yeah. and and, and I, I think what I learned from that is, because what I did is, I, you know, what the election showed was actually this consensus that's dominated politics has broken down in the country, and yeah, precedents w- had to be defied, but that's the age in which we live, you know, where the unthinkable can and will happen, and to quote a famous British philosopher, George Michael, <laughs> you've got to have faith. No, but that's what I learned is that you just, you know, for, for, that you shouldn't give an inch to those people. But did, um, it, did it affect your relationship with, with Jeremy? Well, yeah, obviously a lot of people in that operation were just, you know, pissed off, of course. I mean, Did you know, he say, bloody hello in? No, he's not that kind of person, is he? I think, you know, I think... How did you repair it? I think, well, I... <laughs> What I'd say in terms of, you know, because I don't think it's about Jeremy, I think it's that, uh, that I let down a cause. And I think mm. a lot of people out there, what they thought was, look, we barely have any people in media who are fighting our corner. You had one job and you fucked it up. Yeah. And that is how people felt. They felt just really let down and disappointed. And, and do people tell you this to your face? Online more so. I mean, what I'd say is I threw everything into that general election. Obviously, mm. you know, I very publicly was like, oh, this is fucked. Yeah. Uh, and I did, you know, and my view was like, how do we save the left being in charge of the Labour Party? Because if it's a terrible defeat, then we'll be kicked out yeah. and blamed forever, and that's the end of the left, uh, which was wrong, and it was self-indulgent and a bit arrogant on my part. Because I did I but did start evidence. thinking, oh, look at what I've helped to do, and, and that was arrogant. It was, it was actually a bit narcissistic in hindsight. But and what I did in that general election is I threw everything in it, and yeah. again, I was back to being one of the few people in the media who would unapologetically fight the court, you know, whether it be what Jamie's speech on after the Manchester terrorist attacks, whether it be on the manifesto and, and I campaigned everywhere and, and I, you know, and I think I've just learned from my mistakes. We, we do fuck up and I fucked up actually quite badly then, I would say. But um, is that to learn that we live in an age where, you know, if I look at other par- parties across Europe where the leadership's a bit closer to centrist and all the rest of it, they are actually in collapse in Germany, uh, in, in Italy in the Netherlands and I think actually the only politics that's possible in the this age is a, a radical politics that appeals to this sense of injustice people have and I just for me it's just just do not make that mistake again you but, know don't ever lose faith like you did there And but isn't there a danger that then you won't react 
if the evidence does change. You know, for, for a period, it did look like Corbyn was leading Labour to extinction. Like, people were saying it. There's no doubt at the start of that election campaign, and the campaign not in, unfolded the way it did, that that, re, that result would have would have no, happened. Because the, I had this stupid idea, basically, in my head, which was, look, if you get somebody else who's somehow more telegenic or plays by various media rules more, yeah. it will be easier. But that wasn't the problem. The problem was that... The media elite and all the rest of it are viciously, viscerally opposed to that brand of politics and whoever is leader will get attacked and demonised and that will be difficult. But actually, if you, you know, in the election campaign, and Matt Zarkozy, who you've had on previously, made an excellent point that actually when broadcasting rules kick in, people would see him as he was yeah, that's right. and he could speak about his policies and it would shift people's opinions and it did. So I just think, no, I mean, you know, now what I've learned is, given we went down to 24%, things will get tough in the future. There will be some very, very difficult moments. But the lesson I've learned is, you know, and I'm not going to say I'm going to be uncritical of Labour. There's yeah. various, I've written columns about they need to be you know, on tax and they're not ambitious enough. Um, but but it's just not to you know this is if if he'd have stopped being leader, I wouldn't have got what I wanted. Actually, the old guys would have taken over, and I I think we would have ended up like similar parties in Europe. So I think it's important that I learn from that mistake and just don't you know don't I mean, piss very, about again. Being very hard on yourself. I mean, it, no, it's, it, it's it's important to learn from you. Like, you know, you've got to when you mess up. It's and that's what I'm annoyed about with some people in the commentariat, which is. Which is, I think, what they're trying to do now is to erase the general election as though it never happened and to return to all certainties, that somehow they weren't wrong, but there was some weird blip that needs to be wished away. And and, and there is a problem, you know, with the commentariat, with that lack of humility. The reasons I supported Corbyn the first time, and, I, and this is what the arguments I made at the time, was he would be best placed to win over younger voters, non-voters, UKIP voters, and, uh, and people in Scotland. And, I, I you know... That ultimately is what happened in the general election, but I lost faith not in the idea. Well, I mean, that... Maybe not the Scotland bit. Well, we no, you're right. I mean, we were... <laughs> there was a beginnings there at least. We won more, you know, more well, than we had, the Tories. Time. Yeah, that was. Well, yeah, you're right. That was big, but we did win. <laughs> I more... shouldn't pick a bar because we on did the whole. But I, yeah, I, I, but I lost, you know, and I didn't lose faith in the policies of the vision. I always thought that was right, and there had to be this radical break from neoliberalism, as I would put it. That yeah. word everyone uses in the pub, but. <laughs> But I, um, but I just, you know, I, it, you've got. It's important you learn from those mistakes, and uh, that's not about because yet some people are now going, oh, you just overcompensate. It's like what? I've always been a lefty. I've always been a socialist. I've always yeah. fought passionately for those ideas. But th- what I've learned is, you, sh- you know, things will get tough, and you will get a lot of shit, and things will get, you know, that will get a lot worse well, in the you're future. Get shit anyway, aren't you? But are yeah, you... but you've got to learn from that, and that's why I just think, you know, just, you know, that's why I shouldn't mess up my. But if you if you repaired those relationships, you know, have you have you spoken to Jeremy since and said, yeah, oh, I, mean, I, did, about that. I did, yeah, I did have to say that. What yeah. did he say? He was just, well, I mean, you've, you've met Jeremy, haven't you? I have, yeah. He was just like, yeah, it's all right. I mean, I mean, I did. Like, did he mean it, or do you think he was trying to make you feel better? I can't. I can't look into his mind. If I were him, I'd be pretty pissed off. I mean, because the problem I look, even though I did, you know, in that first leadership election, in particular, threw everything into it. Um, when somebody who's on the left says those things, that's that is worse than if somebody on the right says it. Of course, because yeah. people go, even Owen Jones is saying it. That's- so obviously, you know, and they were at a very low point. You know, things were very bad in terms of the polling. But they did were... it affect like your access to him? Did you, did you see him less as a result? Were, 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 having, were doors closed to you after that? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I probably shouldn't go into detail about as a journalist my relations with with people. What I'd say with the operation is that I have a very good relationship with them, but also I am my own person. I don't work for them. I'm separate from them. I think some distance is important. 
I, you know, I'm not... Oh, so that's why I, I did it. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Certainly achieve that. Out of but I'm not, integrity. But I'm not, you know, I don't work, I don't work for Jeremy Corbyn. I'm not yeah. his, you know, he's, I'm my own person. And, uh, you know, I did, I, you know, a thing at Labour Live, I interviewed him and all the other bands yeah. and acts. Eddie Azard as well. Eddie Azard. But no, I mean, you know, if I, 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 I have no idea what he thinks about that. But, but I, now, I, I, I would be annoyed if I were him. But is the relationship repaired now? Is it as if it never happened, or is it? Or some people still a bit off for you? Um, I mean, I, I, with the operation, I get on. You know, a lot of my best friends work in that operation. I spend a lot of time with them and speak to them. Uh, but I don't know. I don't go. I don't spend my time going. Are you still really, really pissed off with you know? We're cool, are, right? Have you forgiven? You know, I mean, that's not. That's not. You know, and I don't think it's healthy because I am an activist. But it's important that I am that there is some separation and demarcation there. Oh, I'm not. You know, I've crit- You know, I'm not going to go around. You know, this idea. You know, I've criticised before of, you know, where you all become one congealed elite and all the rest of it. And I think um, th- that I've got to stay my own man. And but but equally defend a project which i think is about building a different britain and and not and not lose faith again really i mean i've kept you for nearly an hour longer that's all right mate there's so much more even having run at this length um so hopefully you'll come on again in the future yeah let's see mate but that's been absolutely i can't believe we did nearly two hours it's flown by oh god the amount of shit i've just come up with i I apologize to your listeners stop (laughs) apologizing one of the first rules of politics never apologize and if you do start stop I mean, this has been a real. No, it's privilege. honestly an absolute pleasure. Love your podcast; it's very, very good. It's a, an uh, honour to have you on. It's a real honour. So this is a big privilege. This is up there with the miners' gala. Well, well, there you go. <laughs> this is where the ambition lies. <laughs> You've got a pod. Oh well, the the agit pod. Agit pod. Yeah, I'd love agit to pod. come on that. Why don't you come on that at some point? I'd love to. Yeah, me and Ellie Mohagen. She's cleverer than me. I'd love to have her on here. So if. Yeah. We'll all put words in with each other. Yeah, she's really good. She's I'll put a word in with myself. She's writing a book, at, you'll love it. It's about the collapse of centrism. You'll love that. Oh, crikey. <laughs> <laughs> what better note to end on? Owen, thank you so much. Yeah, bye back here. Cheers, buddy. <laughs> There you go, Owen Jones, who I definitely think is way too hard on himself. My word. Uh, but what a phenomenal guest. Uh, exceptionally bright, particularly, you know, when you... It's all well and good talking about politics generally, Corbyn and left-wing politics, but where you really get the benefit of his expertise is when he does talk about things like class and the way that society is structured and the way that uh, people are made to feel about um, their neighbours and things like that. He really exceptional uh, and a very powerful writer a very powerful communicator a, a superb guest and let me know what you thought not just about the interview um, but of course the, the running time was it a bit too long um, as always I put the uh, the interviews out unedited um, because I like to I don't think there's anything I would want to leave out really um, but do let me know uh, I certainly won't try and make every interview long I will always try and keep them to an hour but on occasion uh, when it, uh, it feels natural as it did, uh, maybe they'll, they'll run a bit longer. But let me know what you think. Email me politicalpartypodcast at gmail dot com and do let me know um, where you listen and just any thoughts at all about the show. Uh, Sarah got in touch uh, and said, "Dear Matt, I want to just say a huge thank you for managing to engage someone who is completely disenfranchised with politics." Um, before I should go any further, don't worry, I have left a podcast review. I know. 
you are getting sick of me saying this, but it really does help other people find it. Um, which is, you know, I would like as many people as possible to listen to it. So if you could leave whatever you're listening to now on your device, your laptop, whatever it is, on whatever platform or website, if you could leave a review, every every little bit helps. So thank you for that, Sarah. Um, she said, start listening after hearing other comedians I like talking about the podcast. Doesn't name them, but I'm presuming we're talking about um, Billy Connolly and uh, Les Dawson. Uh, she says, as a 36-year-old, uh, I've voted a different way in every election. I found the podcast accessible. Um, thank you very much. Um, uh, she said, uh, uh, I'm late to the party, so looking forward to when you have some new live dates released. Uh, well, Sarah... Um, you can go to edfringe.com and get uh, tickets to me in Edinburgh and tickets for the political party live are always available at theotherpalace.co.uk, although they do sell out quite quickly. And Sarah listens. Uh, not from anywhere exotic, she says. Maybe we're walking my dog in the Bedfordshire countryside. Will you be careful in the Bedfordshire countryside, Sarah, because that's where they filmed 24 hours in police custody. And I may have got a... I may have had the warped view that it is disproportionately crime-ridden. Um... Alex says, Matt, I love your show, especially the ethos of chatting cordially to people you disagree with. Thank you, Alex. Uh, I love the amnesty idea. I think it could really work because it's so damn reasonable. But one day a year is not enough. How about every weekend? After all, people shouldn't be working on the weekend anyways. Speak for yourself, Alex. I work most weekends, mate. I know. But I'm doing it for the good of the country. Uh, all, after all, people shouldn't be working on the weekend anyways. People can still tweet, just no name calling, and that means people won't receive bad tweets at the weekend, which potentially when they're at their most tired and vulnerable. I don't know, I think Monday's, isn't it? Awful day of the week, Monday. Anyway, uh, I don't normally write into things like this, but I was so inspired that this is such a good idea, yours not mine, and I think you can make it happen. I think in the UK we're forgetting how to talk to each other, and this is something that can change that. OK, so maybe we do do it every week, and I'm not against the idea of doing it on Saturday. All I need is a pun. That's all I need. What do we call this weekly amnesty where we talk to each other respectfully on social media? If you've got an idea for a hashtag, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Gail says, Dear Matt, now that you've finally got an email address for the show, I thought I'd better email you. This sounds like I'm in trouble. I just said I've been listening for a few years now. I saw you for the first time live at the Edinburgh Festival, maybe four or five years ago, when politics was slightly less bonkers. That is very true. I'm not sure if I mentioned, um, but uh, tickets are available for my next Edinburgh show. Um, uh, now, here she says, uh, listening to the podcast is invaluable, keeping me sounding intelligent in my policy job, which leaves hardly any time for reading blogs or reports. I would warn against any listener using this. As a source of... Oh, my word. I feel like I'm propping up the policy world. That cannot be good. Now, here's an interesting one. This was anonymous. Um, so, well, it wasn't sent anonymously. The uh, the sender has to be anonymous. Hi, Matt. I was fascinated by this. And um, so this was about John Landsman. I was fascinated by his continued protestations about believing in grassroots democracy. My route into activism was via momentum. They seemed like a great movement to be a part of. 
I left after they imposed a constitution on all members with the words, if you don't like it, leave. There was no consultation at all. This, though, was the final straw for me. I found the meetings I'd attended to be very undemocratic, ruled with an iron fist by the chair and secretary, and if you didn't agree with their ideas, you were not their type of socialist. There was no real political discussion, and meetings centred around winning positions on the local Labour Party at EC, rather than engaging with voters to win actual elections. They achieved this, which resulted in disastrous election results for us. They've also publicly closed down debate locally on policy, etc. All of this is about as far from grassroots as you can get. We haven't experienced the surge of additional people canvassing, not new people willing to put themselves forward for the election. Uh, if you do happen to refer to this, please don't give my name. Um, uh, well, and uh, I won't reveal what position they hold either, because they do hold a position in a local Labour Party, so um, I don't want to give that away, but they were elected in May. Um, and uh, as the sender says, it's not really the done thing for a councillor to publicly criticise the EC. Well, there you go. Um, a very interesting email that I thought deserved to be shared. So, uh, any, I mean, by all means, send me your political gossip, politicalpodcast at gmail.com. Don't use this as a platform to spread spurious or indeed uh, lies. But, well, I'll tell you what, I don't have to read them out, do I? Politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you next week when I'll be joined live by Andrew Mitchell. For now, thank you for downloading. As usual, please share, subscribe and leave a nice review if you can. Oh, and I should say, apologies for there not being a show last week, but we had illness in the camp. Producer Daisy Knight was not well. Um, so we, we, weren't able to, we weren't able to record last week. I was meant to be joined by Kate Andrews from the Institute of Economic Affairs. Uh, and, and Kate will come on the show at, at some point in the future. I do always try and get... A spread of guests from left to right, um, a, a gender uh, um, split, all sorts of things. And I do realise that that means that the, the, these most recent three episodes have been Matt Zabkas and John Landsman, Owen Jones, who are all from the Corbynite left um, of the Labour Party. Uh, so I do realise that that perhaps has been slight um, overkill in that particular area. Um, but I just think over the course of the year, these things even themselves out, it's quite hard to get availability from some people and to make all the dates work. And we were meant to have Kate on last week, which would have been um, at, at least a, a, um, uh, a difference from, from that. So uh, sometimes that's what happens. I know a few people have tweeted me saying that, well, this is three three lefties on the run. Um, in a, sorry, in a row, rather. They're not on the run, they've done nothing wrong, uh, legally, as far as I'm aware. Um, but you know what I mean. So, uh, not apologies, but if you're thinking, crikey, this has all been Corbynistas recently, um, that is why we, we weren't able to record. So that there you go. It's not my fault. What I'm saying is Daisy's fault for getting ill. Um, right, that really is all. I will see you next week. And this episode was produced by Daisy Knight. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus.